Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Cody Bariga, and this is episode one. My guest today is a, a business sales professional, a, a double graduate or double major. Double major. Double major in history and political science. So two more classes, that's all it took. <laughs> uh, Gen Z uh, advocate, I would say, <laughs> and uh, my good friend, uh, Eric Griffin. Eric, thanks for coming to the podcast, man. Uh, happy to be here, Cody, for Dude. episode number one. I know that uh, you know our conversations are often uh, done over done over text a lot of times, and you know, so it's good to get with you and then just have a conversation. Yeah, this will make it a lot better. Um, since you kind of mentioned that text message, that's kind of one reason why I'm actually wanting to do this because I've noticed. I, I mean, you know me; I get on those stupid Facebook arguments and all that kind of stuff, and I've learned there's no way of having a meaningful conversation, even if you steel man it and everything and try to like have a, a good faith conversation, like via text message or like that, it's just impossible. Right. Right. I think, you know, there's a lot to be said for pitch and tone and voice when, when people talk and Mm -hmm. how it's approached and you can say things on the internet that you normally wouldn't say to somebody's face. No, kind of respect. Yeah. You got to do with being intimidated, but just out of respect, personal respect for other people. And I think that's, uh, I think that's why conversation is a lost art form. Yeah. Um, shit, I completely screwed up because I completely forgot to give my whole intro. That's <laughs> okay. Yeah, no worries. I was supposed to say, welcome to the other side, Eric. <laughs> so, cool. So now, hey, so there we go. Next we get, time. We got it in there. Um, so, so cool. So I got that in there. Um, so yeah, man, so the real reason I kind of wanted to have you in here first, um, like I said, we've had a lot of good conversations. When, when me and you met... I was a punk. I was like a 25 year old kid. I just kind of started my career. Um, what is our age difference? I can't remember. How old are you now? I'm 36. Um, 48. 48. Okay. Yeah. So you got about 12 years ahead of me. Yeah. So you were one of the first people that I can remember. Um, and it's not because I'm intelligent or anything like that, just because I'm a history nerd. Normally when I have conversations with, you know, pick whoever, and I mention, you know, they'll talk about something like, like, Oh, this is the worst that's ever happened. And then I'll be like, well, you know, except for like that whole pesky World War One thing, you know, or I'll mention like, oh, yeah, you know, except, you know, trench war. I'll just say whatever. And most people either know like one layer of what I'm talking about or no idea. Where you come in, though, you're like five, six layers into the onion and how it all ties in. And I just sit back and go, ah, just listen to the smart guy talk for a yeah. while. Oh, no, no, it's, it's not because I'm smart. It's <laughs> what is it they call it? The Dunning-Kruger effect, right? The, the more you actually learn about so, or or. The more you think you know about something, uh, the the more of an expert you think you are. Um, mm-hmm. I fought of that quite a bit. Um, I mean, it was a history major. I love history. I love watching it. Um, love reading about history. And there's always more to each aspect of the story. I think that people often overlook. They may know the fact or the event where it takes place on a timeline, but those are stories that people tell. Yeah. Um, and it shapes into the human experience um, and where we are today. It, it's impacted or affected how we live today in some form or some fashion. And, yeah. and trying to put that together is almost impossible, it seems like to me. But that's where a great storyteller, a great historian come in is to try to make sense of all that information they get. And so I try to look deep, you know, into yeah. the stories behind uh, the facts, I, I guess. Well, man, that's where, I mean, you mentioned it to you. You hit the nail on the head. You said the human experience. And that is something that 
I, I've never, cause again, I'm an idiot. So I've never been able to like articulate it, even though it's a very simple word, you know, the human experience. But like when Carlin talks about history, he mentions that like what, at least two or three times in every podcast, he talks about the human experience and, you know, he's not so much worried about the casual, like he talks about the casualty numbers and things like that, but really it's, you know, he brings in the journals and you understand like what those people are doing in that time. It's not just, Oh, this event happened. It's like, no, people were there. People actually experienced these horrible, horrific, sometimes beautiful things that just gets lost. So where did your love of history come from? How did that start? Cause I know where mine came from, um, but where did yours, like, how did that happen? I think it just comes from my dad. You know, um, my dad would tell me about these great historical figures and he never really told me about the facts per se, but you know, we, we, be watching TV or driving together. Um, and he would discuss somebody like MacArthur. Oh, MacArthur, you know, the president <laughs> had to fire MacArthur because uh, he was too tough. And, you know, an old soldier never dies. And he would tell me about MacArthur's personality, you know, and you, as a kid, you become kind of, you know, that figure becomes romanticized, right? You know, and then he talks to you about somebody like Adolf Hitler, right? And that's evil personified, you know, it's a boogeyman almost. And he makes him sound like a boogeyman. The world had to unite against this Adolf because he believed, you know, uh, but he wasn't ready for America. You know, yeah. dad was a proud patriot. <clears throat> Did your dad serve? Uh, no, no, he didn't uh, serve. He's just a, just a history guy? Just a history guy, yeah. And, you know, he lived through it. My dad was born... Um, in 1939. Okay. So he actually has memories of the war ending. Yeah. He had been uh, like five years old. Yeah. He remembers uh, being able to get bubble gum for the first time. And that was like a big deal because there had been a, I guess the, the government had requisitioned all the sugar. And so they couldn't put it in bubble gum. Um, a lot of things like little sacrifices like that, that we take mm -hmm. for granted that, that people back home went through. So, you know, he remembers that. Um, and he could tell you stories about, and see, that's another thing that too, that, you know, when I talk to people about history, a lot of times, like, you know, a lot of, unless you're a history person, it's either one or it's either, there's very few in between where it's like, oh, I kind of like history. It's usually I love history or that's boring as hell. Right. Like, that's right. what I usually hear. And, you know, I'll credit that to the wonderful American education system we live in because I mean, I remember history, like the way they taught history and stuff, like in like fifth and sixth grade middle school, it was just boring. Um, but that's when I fell in love with history and it was because of age of empires, the video game. Right. Right. I don't know if you, but that's what caught me on. So my dad talked a lot about history, but it was a lot about like our family history. Like, uh, you know, I'm a descendant of the Apaches. And so like, I got a lot of like, kind of like that Southwest Texas history. Um, my dad was a Marine. So I got some of that history a little bit. My grandfather was in Korea. My other grandfather was in Vietnam. So I got some of that history. That was cool. But, uh, man, what got me hooked though, was Age of Empires, I was in sixth grade, Saladin. The Hun campaign and the Saladin campaign, just like, it was just so different because I had never... It's exotic. The it was... Eastern, it, yeah, stuff you probably never heard about. Well, I, I didn't know anything about the Arab world. Right. I'm, a, I'm a, you know, a sixth grader in America. They don't teach you any of that stuff. And then, well, so strange about Saladin, it just confused me because, you know, he allowed, you know, Christians to still worship. He... It just didn't make sense in my brain. I'm like, this guy is supposed to be the bad guy, right? Like right. the Crusaders were the good guys. You know, I'm air quoting right. here. And, you know, now that I'm older and I've gone back, it was just like, that's just not even close to being the truth. But that's what got me hooked was that video game. And then, and then Saladin and just those stories, because I mean, with the history, it's like, it's, it's better than fiction. 
Like you can't write it better. Yeah. Like uh, on the Mongols, like you can't write the fact that every time they're on the verge of destroying Europe, up the con dies and they all just go back home. And it's just so like, you couldn't write that any better. You couldn't write it different because it's just so random. There's these big, big events like that. Um, there's a theory in history called the the Great Man Theory. Okay. Um, there's a lot of different, you know, there's some postmodernist theories that say, ah, oh, it's just all random events, you know. And then there's uh, things like the Great Man Theory that kind of adhere to the notion that individuals are the ones who shape history. Um, and, you know, so then you start looking at the personality of uh, – Somebody like, you know, we discussed MacArthur mm-hmm. or, or Hitler, you know, what, what events in their life led them to think that way or led them to that stage? Was it all random? Um, you know, it, it just, I guess there's an enigma and a mystery to how we got where we are today, where we're going. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to think that, you know, a, a small, pe- it's almost like the Lord of the Rings, right? The Hobbit. Yeah. You know, how a little Hobbit could change the fate of the world. <laughs> you know, and, and that's what you saw. That's what you see throughout history, in my mm-hmm. opinion, are people of no consequence grow up in a series or set of events that ultimately lead them to a position where they're either in power or can influence um, some event or some thing that's going to impact the way that we live now, that impacted the way that we live now. And that just... It gives me chill bumps when I think about it. Yeah. That's one thing I'm really excited to uh, help Logan through. So we're actually going to start – he's actually going to start doing a homeschool soon because um, me and my wife, we always want to be teachers, so so it's going to work out. But what I'm really excited about is teaching him, like, the history. Right. Like, I'm so excited to to not do the boring, all right, you know, 1940 – you know, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to do all that stuff. Like, all right, we're going to talk about the dates and things like that. It's just how – you know, you keep it, keep it in general, but you said like people have no consequence and things have changed the world. Like, I mean, even Columbus, think about what that, I mean, it's just nuts to think this guy got on this rickety boat, a couple of them, let's just sail across like the most violent ocean ever. An Italian funded by Spaniards. You know. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm not going to do it once. I'm going to do it three times. Like right. that's just incredible. You know, it's, it's just incredible stories and I don't know, man. I, I just love history. So when you so what so, so talk to me a little bit about your education. Like how did that go? Like how did you become like go to like the history major and how did you go through all that? Um, you know, in high school I wasn't really that interested. I guess per se, I had mm-hmm. other concerns. You know that that were more important to me. Uh, probably more social concerns were more important to me <laughs> at the time. Um, and, and I didn't really pay attention. But as I got older. Um, you know, I'd kind of flunked out of college the first time and I wanted to go back and, and I decided when I, I went back, I wanted to study something that I enjoyed. And I know that here comes the whole useless degree thing, and, mm-hmm. but, but it, it did shake my view of the world. And, um, I just read voraciously, um, probably about the time I turned 25. Uh, that's you know a little bit late to kind of get mm-hmm. into everything, but everything that I could get my hands well, on. Well, your brain finally developed at that point, right? Yeah, it matured. Exactly. Right? Very mature. Um, and so um, when I was in school, I enjoyed, I took every class that I could. You know, it was it was all covered under the same cost. Um, so, you know, three more hours or taking 21 hours a semester instead of 15, you mm-hmm. know, and adding two more classes of upper level history or political science classes. Um, 
I remember one of my history professors was my advisor. And he was like, can you handle this? And I was like, I got it. Yeah. You know, I'll go after it 100%. He's like, okay, but you know, just, just be prepared to drop one. And which one do you think you'll drop if you, and I never had to drop it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went back to college, I essentially graduated in two years. Nice, man. So I kind of did the same thing. So like in high school, I took all of, you know, now, you know, I went to teeny tiny high school, you know, I graduated like 70 kids or whatever, but all my elective classes, I took all the history classes I could take in Clinton. And then when I went to Moralton for college at the community college, I took, that was my electives. I took all the history classes. No, you know, there weren't like a ton, you know, there was political science class, you know, uh, world history one and two, American history one and two, but I got really, really lucky that I had a professor. Like it was one of the first classes I took was world history class. His name was Dr. Battershell. I got super lucky because he actually taught at U of A. But the reason why he came to the community college was because he said he just hated writing all the articles and having to do all the stuff to be published. Yeah. Yeah. To be a published. um, He actually wrote uh, the Arkansas history book with one of the professors from Euler. So the guy is like a real historian. Like he does a fantastic job. So we all was very lucky to have this guy. Everyone in Moralton right. hated him. Everyone hated him. Like just because he was just such, he was a fantastic history guy. But one of the first things he taught us, um, which they did not teach us as in high school, and it helped my perspective of giving people grace, is judging people in their own time period. Like not judging people by the morals of today, right. because I, I mean, you just go through history, man, and it's just we're savages. Like we're psychopaths. You know, we do terrible things to each other and it's, and it's not that far away. And I think that's what scares me the most with everything happening in the world right now. Um, you know, when you look at like, you know, Ukraine right now and what the Chechnyans have done to some of the civilians there, and maybe some of the Russians have too, but I know it's more the Chechnyans where they, you know, going into these villages and raping and murdering people's wives and kids in front of them. And then, you know, killing them. So that's the last thing. I mean, that's just. I mean, that's stuff that you think, oh, that's so far away. Right. And you're like, um, I don't know. Go look at World War II and see how the Japanese treated folks. I mean, we're not that far away from going back to just – A couple generations. I couple, mean – A couple grand Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, my own personal history. I mean, I come from the Apaches. I mean, the Apaches were like some of the greatest torturers in the world. That's, that's how they got their kicks off, all the different games they would play. You know, they'd – they would take Americans and they would, you know, hang them above fires. You know, they'd, you know, put them above like, you know, the burning embers. And the goal of the game was, you know, you didn't want the guy to die. You wanted him to be alive. And if his head popped, you won. So whoever's head popped first won. Yeah. That's that again, that's complete psychopathic behavior that was happening in, I don't know, the 1890s, you know, not that long ago. Long ago. Like you said, you know, you mentioned Japan, you know, what, what a cultural <sighs> shift that's been, huh? Um, oh, man. Uh, to, to, to go from that kind of devout, crazed, lunacy almost, fanatical, um, aggressive nature to almost, you know, you kind of feel like docile points, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, it's how fast that can change within a generation. And, you know, that's always been one of the things that amazed me the most is one of the things I've been kind of reading up on lately is uh, the Russian and the French Revolution. Okay. And, um, you know, these horrific revolutions. I mean, blood. I mean, the American Revolution seems. Oh, it's our revolution <laughs> seems tamed by that, right? In other well, words, it was polite. It was. It was, it was gentlemanly. Yeah, uh, or it almost gets that impression, right? Yeah. You know, 
noble group of people fighting for, you know, their rights against unfair for a 2% tax. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, the French revolution was, uh, as you know, a complete overthrow of things that had been established in Europe for, you know, a couple thousand years. Almost. Gosh. Yeah. Cause the French revolution, I mean, well, which one are we talking about? Are we talking about after Napoleon or are we talking about the Before one after Napoleon? The, okay. one that led to the one that led to Napoleon. So that was like what early 1700s? 1789, late, late 1800s. So at, that, so at that point, France and them had been in power, like you had said, for about a thousand years at that point. You know, yeah, and there were set, French dynasties, like you go back, is like one of the most complicated reading things. I've, I've looked at lineages on that. And I'm like, it's a lot, man. Like you look at the tapestry of the, you know, 4,500 years of what we call civilization, and it's just, and that's one thing I'm trying to do better. Like uh, that's what I'm trying to learn is like a the world understanding of it. Like I've been really big in like the Middle East right now, and like you know how Persia went. And I mean, it's just people don't. That's probably one of those annoying things again about like the American like education part of it. Like we just never study Persia. You just don't talk about. It. You talk about it a little bit if you talk about Greece. Maybe right. they mentioned it. You know, I don't even remember in high school they were talking about. It. I'm like, you're literally skipping out on like the one place in the world that's had a continuous civilization for like 4,000 years. Right. Like, let's just completely ignore that one. And it's just, it's just crazy. Cause like, yeah, I mean, yeah. You know what the, who, who all took over that part of the world? You got the Macedonians with, uh, you know, Alexander the great, they took over that part. Um, and then you've got what the Mongols came through mm-hmm. and that's probably, I can't think of anyone else who's come through there who like owned that part. I mean, that was so strange because, like, you were kind of talking about, like, the Ottoman Empire and everyone else. Like, they just – they kind of butt up there, but we just, again, skip out that part. It's like, man, it's kind of an important an important part of the world that maybe we should talk about a little bit. You know, maybe yeah, give us some um, better understanding, especially when we're, you know, basically – I mean, we're still living with the, the echoes of World War One. you know, yeah, in that part of the yeah. world. It's um, – yeah, the policies and, and things that were shaped and – uh, the you know the Western powers how they how they divided everything up and um, it, it it's so detailed and so intricate and it just amazes me that everybody just treats it as so black and white right Israel's yeah. good and the Palestinians are bad <sighs> yeah and, and it's not that simple God I wish it was that simple um, you know it, it's I don't know. It, it, it just maybe there's a solution in that past somewhere, or maybe there's just more hatred to be dug up. The more I study history, the more I give people grace. Is the way I look at it because you know, I mean, you talk to friends or you talk to whoever, and you mention you know whatever, like the founding fathers, and people just be like, oh, they're slaveholders, so you just got to cut off everything. I'm like, what are you talking about? Right? Like why? Like why are you not like looking at like what you know these folks, the era they lived in, maybe the world that had been everything before them, you know, we look at things in hindsight. So like you said, it's really good to kind of look at things and how things are going, like, especially now with like Russia and everything going on. And I was almost one of the ones I was this close to being one of those folks who were just like, yeah, let's go no fly zone. Let's all this stuff. And now that I've like taken a step back, <laughs> kind of look at the history of it. And I'm like, nah, bro, like this, we do not want to get into another war. Right. Like I don't understand. Like, you mentioned World War One and like how people had to sacrifice. You know, again, I'm a millennial. I grew up with 20 years of the Iraq War, or you know, 10 years of the Iraq War, 20 years of the Afghanistan War. 
And name me a single sacrifice that anyone here on the homeland had to make. Zero. Zero. Nothing. There was no real mobilization. There was none of that. You know, I can't go get butter for a couple months because the troops needed or it was just so casual. Such a it was basically the epitome of what you'd expect in like a modern 2000 war. Right. Just it's raging. We're killing a million civil, you know, (laughs) civilians over there. But over here, it's just, you know, business as usual, business as usual. And I don't think careers and family and, and life to go on and, you know. Um, not once during any of that did I ever have to worry about, you know, how am I going to feed my kids or, you know, we're going to be able to make enough ammo to support the troops. Um, yeah, yeah, none of that was there. It's a whole different war, you know? Um, and then we wonder why our, you know, our poor veterans have, you know, PTSD and mental health issues when they come home and there's no, there was no nothing there that like there was no celebrations. There was nothing. It was, it was so casual. You know, it's so, oh hey oh you're back great. You know, yeah. go mow your yard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Welcome back to society. Just we need you to reintegrate after we basically trained you to you know yeah. be a killing machine. It's funny you mentioned that too because you know like groups like the Hell's Angels formed by War Two vets. Who I mean that's always been a question when you turn that on in a human being. How do you turn that off? You know, and and how do you get those people to just reintegrate back into society? So the Hell's Angels kind of started off as that, like a, a group of World War II vets were still looking for those kicks, that adrenaline rush that yeah. got hooked on it. You know, what was the uh, the World War One vets who were like in front of the White House? What was that army called? The the BEF. The, See, that's why I love you. You know this stuff. The, the bonus the, expeditionary. Force. Yes. Uh, because the A it was the AEF was the American <laughs> Expeditionary Force that went over to so they called them the BEF. Patton rolled on those guys with tanks. Really? Early, yeah, it was one of Patton's first. Yeah, and that I think that's what scares me about two things happening like in the world right now. You know, we're staring at this World War Three, and now we're all playing with nukes. So no telling how that's going to turn out. But again, if we actually go into like a real world war, like you know, with China and Russia and. Now you got Brazil getting really, really funky. I don't know how India would do all this. There's a lot going on. And I don't think it's going to be an Iraq war where we all just get to sit around and, you know, act like nothing happens. I don't think it's going to be that way. So It, that, it would have to be, I guess, and I don't know, it's just me prognosticating, yeah. here, but it would be total war, right? A yeah. nation mobilized for war. And, and I don't think we're ready for I don't think people can do it. I honestly don't know if people younger than me, I don't know if people my own generation, I don't know if they would even sacrifice. I don't know if they would do it. Yeah. I don't know if there's enough patriotism or whatever. You, I just, or even just an understanding of what is actually, again, you know. What is at stake? What does it mean? Yeah. And then you've got on the other end of it, you know, with all these folks wanting to, you know, even stupid politicians. Let's have a national divorce. Let's split the country. We should have a revolution. And like you were talking about, like, yeah, we had our peaceful revolution for the most part. But then you go read the French Revolution. Like, do y'all really want to – does anyone really know what that means? Right. And, does, and all these people who think that, oh, well, my side will grab the reins of power and everything will be good. Yeah, there's no guarantee your side is grabbing anything. No. And you no. don't know what the back end is going to be like if the other guys grab it and – they just go yeah. full whatever. What happens when whatever side gets backed into a corner and, and somebody like China offers support? You know, exactly. Somebody like Russia says, you know what? We're going to help you guys out. You're, 
you're backed into the northern west of the United States, you know, here. There has guns to- and ammo and training and and you're right over it. That's yeah, happening now. Foreign intervention into the country, right? And so when people talk about national divorce, I'm like, no, you, you've got what you've got to understand. I mean, if, if, if you have a generation of Americans who are dissatisfied with any kind of hopes of the American, like I grew up with the concept of the American dream. Mm-hmm. You grew up with that concept. It was it was taught to us that it was obtainable. And as time has slowly gone on, I think you're seeing that dream, the idea of the American dream, the reality of it become less obtainable. And I think that comes back to some bad policy decisions some bad leadership. Uh, I mean, the, the housing crisis, the housing inflation to me is worse than any other consumer index inflation you could yeah. get out there. And, and I love the, you know, they just rolled out the new, the new, the new numbers, the new inflation numbers like, oh, it's down to 5%. Yeah. And I'm like, well, first of all, you need to do the math. This is this is the third year. Like, first of all, it's the third year in the row. You need to kind of like add those inflations right. up. So we're, it's not 4% inflation over three years. We're like up to like 14%. Right. And then, but what do they do when they do that? They pull out the housing, which is completely bonkers. And there's so much to talk about housing. Like, like you said, there's been bad policy. That's one thing for sure. You know, you got greed, you got people like BlackRock and all these other people buying up properties and buying houses and doing all that crap. So you got all that. So I'm like, that's so what they can rent. This is where my, my liberal side kicks in. Cause like I'm all for, like I'm against all that stuff, like the gouging and especially these investment companies buying properties. So that's one problem. Sit over here. Then on my conservative side, I'm over here saying, number one, it's, you know, bad parenting. You know, all these kids are spoiled. I cannot tell you how many people my age, when like they talk about building a house or starting or getting a starter house if they're 25, they're not looking for what I had a starter house when I was 20. Me and Courtney, when we were 20, 21, we got an 1100 square foot home, you know, like whatever it was, $84,000. Our mortgage payment was like 500 bucks. Right. That's a starter home. And that's what we were looking for. And most people right now, built some equity in it, sold it. They think my current house right now, the one that we're currently, they think this is a starter home. Yeah. Like, no, this is like 10 years of me working and like doing stuff to get here. And I I think that's been lost and I don't know who to blame. You know, I'll say bad parenting, you know, spoiling everybody. Um, But it's just, it's weird. Like why people think that everyone deserves to have a 2,500 square foot home. Yeah. And they're 20. Like and that's and then you can again you can go and blame the builders right and the corporate greed and American capitalism you know we always got to have more 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 because they don't build those homes anymore either that's the other problem right right so like what's the chicken for the egg is it because they don't build the houses or is it because people won't buy those houses I think that's a, an immense complex issue but but like you said you know I think the America um, that that we grew up in I mean Gen X and uh, you know. So excited to talk about generations with you. (laughs) So Gen X. So me being 36, I'm like in this weird kind of place, right? I I joke around. I've heard it before. I'm the Oregon Trail generation because I grew up with playing, you know, the Oregon Trail. You know, I remember I was a kid playing that. So I grew up without the Internet and grew up with the Internet. And all my older cousins were Gen Z 
who are my favorite people in the world because they broke all the rules when my Gen Z older cousins would watch us instead of my parents. Guess what we got you to do? Gen X. Yeah. Do what now? You Gen X cousins? My cousins. Yeah. So yeah. I've got cousins that are, you know, 10, 12 years older than me. Oh, so they'd be Gen X. Exactly. They're my yeah. Gen X cousins. So that's yeah. why Gen X. Gen Z, so oh, sorry. Sorry. No, no. My Gen X cousins are my. Are like so you get your variables. Yeah, I know, but yeah, my Gen X. You know, you know, I grew up with you know listening to a bunch of Gen X play music. All my cousins were, you know, all my older cousins were the Gen Xers, which were awesome. Um, And then my parents, kind of the way they raised me, was kind of weird because my parents were born in '59, so they're in that boomer generation, but they also grew up in the. The Gen X generation, the too. The beginning of the Gen X Exactly. Generation. So there's some weird nuances. Like, my mom is way more of an Xer than my dad. Right. My dad is way more of a boomer. Um, so it's interesting. Like, when I got raised, I got real lucky because I kind of got both. You know, I kind of got the – I kind of got best of like, hey, you know, don't listen to the government. They're not always right. But, hey, go work your ass off. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of a – that was kind of a Gen X mentality is trust nobody. <laughs> You're going to get screwed over. And, and part of that was because we watched, um, I guess, you know, like my grandfather could work for the same company his entire life. That wasn't always such the case with like my dad, right? No, or yeah. other generations. You started seeing in that, the late 70s and 80s, you know, layoffs. And my, my dad was different though. I mean, he, he kind of went a different path. But, you know, I saw that happen to my friend's dads, right? And um, I tried to explain Gen X versus the way I see my kids, even me raising my kids now, you know, what they want to do, what they value, what they find interesting. Um, it's just so bizarre to me. <laughs> it just throws me for a, it just throws me off completely. And I, I don't know. I mean, it's not to say that I guarantee you if I'd had an Xbox one and a Nintendo switch and everything like that, when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, I probably would have been hooked on that thing too. Oh, of course. Yeah. So I'm not, I don't dissuade people for, you know, little things like that. But at the same time, I didn't learn to play football organized. I didn't learn to play soccer organized. I didn't learn to play baseball organized. I learned to play in the backyard hanging out with all the other kids. Um, yeah. Then we went to Little League games. It wasn't near as much fun as a smear the queer game. <laughs> exactly. In the backyard, right? You know, it was um, – and I don't see that. I don't see that kind of. And we we work things out. Like we had our problems. We had our, but we never got our parents involved. Yeah, it was never told. You came home with a black eye. Tried to hide it. Uh, she got in a fight, right? And so did the other kid. And you know, but but we worked that out. And some of the best friendships I ever had were built off conflict. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I see. I don't see conflict. I guess I think it still happens. I just think it happens in a different way. Maybe. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if it gets a little tougher. I don't know if it makes us a little tougher. Well, you didn't have the electronics as much, which is great. So um, go ahead and move that like kind of in front of you. I think it'll help like more, probably more facing this way. There you go. That way it'll probably catch you a little bit better. Um, so anyway, in the podcast, we'll test it out, see how it sounds. But I right, think that'll right. that be one, like, Hey man, it's first one, you know, yeah. you know, there's not gonna be any listeners anyway. So who cares? Right. I mean, right. Uh, but honestly, um, but yeah, see, I mean, I got so lucky in that, man, because I grew up in the country. So like, you know, I tell things to like my wife, I tell things to Courtney, like, like Logan's about to turn six. My son's about to turn six. And like when I was six years old, I was already out in the pasture building forts, doing this, running around with the horses, 
doing all sorts of weird stuff in the country. And to get my kid out is like pulling teeth. And I even raise him very much like <laughs> in kind of like the way I was raised. Like he doesn't get to play video games during the week. He's never played with an iPhone. Like, like he doesn't have a phone. He has a tablet, but he's only allowed to use it when we're like on car, like long car trips. Right. So even though like I keep him away from that, like he basically watches Ninja Turtles and plays Legos, but still it's like, for whatever reason, it's like so hard getting him outside to go do stuff. But once he's out there, he has a blast and it's hilarious. Like it's just this funny battle of dude, go outside. I don't want to, I throw him out there, go play in your sandbox. Two hours later, do you have fun? Oh, it was great. Yeah. Well, no crap. Go I out there. Part of that. Um, maybe I'm not hundred percent sure, you know, I always give my disclaimer, eh, you know, what if I'm wrong? Oh, I'm uh, always wrong. I just, I just assume that 90% think, of the stuff that comes out of my mouth is complete <laughs> bull crap. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, but I think going outside, what drew me outside wasn't my love of nature. It wasn't my no, your friends were out there. My friends were out there. Yeah. Kids. I didn't know were out there. I would look out my yard and be like, there's kids playing out there. I'm going to go out there too. Man. I wonder if there were, because so like if you could get three or four of them out in a group, I kind of feel like the other ones would. You would, but man, I think, I don't know. Our bikes everywhere. I know, but everyone is now, and I am too, man. I'm 100% guilty of it. I'm so worried about some psychopath coming and picking up my kid, throwing them in a car, and I never see them again. Like, it's just, there's too, there's so many psychopaths out here. And I don't know if there's all, I mean, there's always been psychopaths, right? Like those crazy, but. We did have a Sega Silence back then, so maybe most of them did get thrown in those. I don't know. Right. right? You know, we don't do that anymore. We, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is to how to, to do that because, you know, I would love for my kid to go outside and just ride his bike. I mean, not even worry about it. But then I've got too many idiots who do 50 miles an hour in the subdivision. Yeah. And I mean, we dealt with that same thing. I guess you, so my dad got ran over, actually. Yeah. My dad almost died. He was like nine years old. And got smoked like forty-five miles an hour. Like got under the oh. car, toppled, broken oh. skull. Oh yeah, he got ran over like yeah. flat, ran over by a lady. Wow. Yeah. Just I mean, my dad tells a story, and it's still kind of like, oh yeah, my dad got ran over. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh that's why he's a marine. You know, his head got bounced around too it's much. Makes sense for him to join the marines. Yeah. Oh, my dad's gonna be a marine anyway, man. Like my dad, uh, he did. He was in the uh, – oh, absolutely. Absolutely, my friend. I don't even know if they even do these anymore. It's probably considered like, you know, Hitler youth stuff now. My dad was in the Young Marines. Have you yeah, ever heard of that organization? J-R- I've never heard of that. But didn't they used to do like J-R-O-T-C? I mean, that's still around, right? Kind of. Um, so my grandfather on my dad's side, he was a Marine. Um, he went to Korea when he was 17. And I got some stories out of him. But it was usually after like, you know, 15 beers and – they weren't ever good stories. <laughs> you know, there was a, he was very proud of his service and he deserves to be, but he would not talk about, he would talk about the Marine Corps and that, but when it came to like what he did, yeah, they just, there's not a lot of talking there. I'm, I never met my uh, grandfather on my mom's side, but he, he served in World War II and um, he was, I don't know, this is my mom grew up. When I, when I tell you how my mom grew up, she grew yeah. up our house. She was white trash beauty, right? My mom was a gorgeous woman when she was younger. Like, I can show you pictures, and you're like, wow, she was just beautiful. And why are you so ugly? Yeah, I look just like my dad. <laughs> uh, I look like a short version of my dad at that, too, right? Um, but my mom, um, he, he was, she said he was never right when he came back. 
Just, oh, I can't even imagine. You know, and, and but she she didn't know that he was right. I mean, she was born in forty nine, mm-hmm. but you know, she'd heard stories. Um, he ended up being shot, and what everybody in small town Tennessee thinks was a you know hunting accident. Uh, but he, apparently he slept around a lot, and you know, it's, I don't know the whole story, but you know, <laughs> it's proud heritage, right? Yeah, there yeah. you go. Um, and I grew up so. Even today, my mom, you know, I talked to her and she grew up different than that. You know, she met my dad and I was raised in Memphis, um, suburban Memphis. Um, you know, but to think of my mom growing up and it just blows my mind that that's one generation ago that my mom grew up dirt poor. When I say dirt poor, like a shack yeah. in the dirt, having to go to an outhouse, you know, to use the bathroom. Um, that was my mom. That's one generation that grew up like that. I have no clue what it will ever be like to experience that. Yeah, man, my side, both of my, my parents or both of my family sides are very weird when it comes to that. Cause again, this is why I give people grace, a lot of grace. Cause you know, I could sit here and I, my parents were fantastic, fantastic parents. But if I wanted to nitpick, you know, something they did wrong or, you know, why I'm not as successful as I should be or whatever. You know, I could pick a million things about that. And I think everyone could. But then you stop and I kind of think about like, you know, some of the things that like my dad may have gotten, you know, air quote wrong, you know, maybe raising me. And then I go back and I think about how he was raised um, from his. So my grandfather was he got to live like the kind of like the original American dream. So my great grandfather was born in 1903. Um, Apache, uh, Sarah Madres, you know, he grew up in a little town called Marfa, which is, you know, right there in, right there in Southern Texas, kind of like Southern. So he didn't have his parents. He was literally born in a barn somewhere. A guy that we think is his uncle had him with him until he was maybe about, you know, maybe like 10 or 11 did kind of teach him to read. And then after that, my great grandfather literally started working on, on, on ranches. That's what he did. He did rodeos and things like that. So, I mean, he was like, whatever, like a homeless person, essentially. Right. He was bouncing from ranch to ranch. Um, Yeah. He was transient. Um, when he actually had the picture, I'll show you later, um, where he was in Valentine, Texas, and he'd actually won a, a bronc riding competition. He did it with no boots on. So after he won the, the owner of the ranch said, Hey, every man needs a pair of boots and a gun. So he gave my grandfather, and I have the gun too. It's one of the, it's awesome. It's a, it's a Colt 19, it's a 19, what is it? Like a 1932 Colt. It's a police carry. Uh-huh. So no telling where it came from. Right. Um, but yeah, so he got that. Uh, or I can't remember what it was. I can't remember. I got to look at that. I think it's a third 1932, but so he gets that pistol and, and gets that. But like, I can't imagine growing up with nobody bouncing around from ranch to ranch. So when he met my great grandmother and they got married, um, my dad every summer would actually go live with them for the whole summer. Yeah. And they didn't have, I think they had like, I think my dad said they had kind of had electricity, but they only took one bath on, you know, Saturday night. Uh, it's the only time they took a bath. So the whole, you know, he was there for a whole week smelling like crap, Yeah, you know, yeah. but they literally lived like kind of how they lived more in the 1800s. You know, they would kill a goat. They made goats, you know, blood sausage. They used every part of the goat. But my grandfather actually got to go to school in Marfa. He got to go from first grade all the way up to he graduated. 
But it's weird. I actually have his uh, yearbooks. In his senior year, he's just not there. He was in Korea, which is, again, I can't imagine. Mind-blowing. 17-year-old. What in the world are you doing over there in Korea? Um, But he was really, really hard on my dad growing up. You know, just different things. You know, just how he kind of raised my dad. But he was he was wonderful. My grandfather was wonderful, but he was still really, really hard. And so, but every time I kind of think back, my dad even kind of said it too, when he thinks about my grand, cause he's kind of growing up and I was growing up, he'd say, you know, I was, you know, grandpa was real hard on me, but then even my dad would be like, you know, but he was raised by a really, really hard man. Cause my Tata, who was my great grandfather yeah. was a really hard man, like extremely hard. Like again, he grew up with nothing in a desert. <laughs> From people, from a people that were completely annihilated and wiped out. And it was actually illegal to be Apache in Mexico until 1920. You could be bountied. I think in America, you could still bounty Apaches until like 1908 or something. Again, what, 100 years ago, we were killing people? A couple generations ago. So. Somebody somebody that we know in our families. Exactly. That we've met. So, again, grace is deserved, you know. When I look at like my dad has said, you know, my grand, you know, my grand, grandpa was hard on me, but look at who raised him. And then you look at my grandpa and you're like, oh, well, my grandpa was really, or my taught, my great grandfather was really hard on my grandfather. Well, he did a fantastic job. He was there his whole life. He was an actual father. He actually was there. He was an actual father. He actually allowed his kid to go to school. Like that was unheard of before that. And then you look at my grandmother on my mom's side. She only went to like seventh grade because she ended up getting like scarlet fever, one of the fevers. Right. So she was just yellow fever. Yeah. Yellow fever or something. So she was out. So she just never went back to school. And then my grandpa on my mom's side, he lied and he didn't, he was raised in, like you said, dirt poor Oklahoma, no father, mom with multiple kids. He went to the army at 15 and went to Vietnam. Like that's, that's crazy. Yeah. And now we've got people nowadays, you know, talking about that generation or talking about those folks like, oh, well, they're racist and they're this. And they're like, yeah, there's bad things in that generation. But, man, you like you're not giving these folks any grace at all from what they came from and the people who raised them. So, uh, but, yeah, it's just it's nuts, man. And and some of the criticism on the the boomers is, too, you know. And it's warranted, right? We can definitely slam on some boomers. Yeah, I'll slam on my my mom. (laughs) You know how tough it was. You know, I say that about my mom. My mom grew up tough. My dad, on the other hand, uh, I give him. You know, he, he's passed away, but I'd give him shit. Like you know, he he tried to be like he had this hard life existence because he had a car that would only go in first and reverse or something. <laughs> you know, walk like, uphill both ways and all yeah, that. He had to drive it uphill both ways, and then he put himself through private school. You know, private high school, and working all the time, and. uh and again, my, my dad grew up a little bit different, right? He grew up a middle class family, mm-hmm. you know, in Nashville. Um, he grew up different than my mom. Yeah. Um, my mom had a little bit harder of existence. My dad probably a little bit easier. But, you know, my dad, you know, he's preached work ethic. Like, uh, he used to, when I was 14, he would say, okay, I'm going to give you this amount of money to buy clothes. But here's what I expect you to buy with it. It's like three pairs of jeans and three shirts or whatever. And it was never enough. If I had to do that, then I would have to go shop at Kmart or Walmart or whatever. He's like, but you feel free to supplement this money any way that you see fit. <laughs> you know, that was, so I, I, at 13, I forged my birth certificate to get a job. <laughs> of course you would. 
So, I mean, well, I mean, hold on. You forge your birth certificate. Yeah. What'd you do? Go get some like white out and like. <laughs> yeah. Some or go out. find like some copier like, copy uh, machine. They, and they just needed a copy, right? So if you could get the kind of similar, it was obvious. It was bad <laughs> fake. Like I still, I still think I have a copy of the forged one somewhere. And uh, it was just a bad fake, but they accepted it. And uh, I mean, I went to work. Uh, like my first job was um, uh, handing out credit applications at Circuit City. And how how much were you getting paid an hour? It was like three thirty five. And then if somebody signed up, like I got like a buck or two or something off of it, you know. So I'd be like, man, if I get ten, it's extra twenty. Yeah. So three thirty five an hour was what I started off at minimum wage. So you were balling back then. Yeah, I bought, I bought some Air Agassiz, dude. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, man. So my first job, like my real first job, I guess I'll call it. I was about about that age. I was about thirteen, and I started mowing yards. I was doing that kind of thing. But anyway, one of the movie places in town in Clinton were like, "Hey, if you'll mow our front yard," and it was a tiny yard, you know, just a little little square, and then a couple little side things. You know, it took me like twenty minutes to mow, but I did it every week, and they gave me fifteen movie rentals every time. Oh man, but you would live in large. Oh man, because back then movie rentals were like, full, like five bucks, I think, or something yeah, like that for a yeah. movie. So I would sell them to my dad for three dollars. Gotcha. So my dad would just load up on movies, and of course, that's my dad being a really good dad, right? Like yeah. giving me the forty-five dollars for those movies. Yeah, saw a business opportunity, but on the but, but on the end part, you know, my dad, you know, he worked out. He didn't have to pay those that extra money for those movies right. and all that. But he always gave me the forty-five dollars like for free, right now. Kind of, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so he did that, and then I started working at Subway when I was sixteen, making like five dollars an hour. But but it, kind of the same thing. Like I've always been because the way I was raised. Like, listen, you've got to go get after you got to. Get to work um and that's what i've been lucky enough to live that american dream like you said it's been lost right 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 but i got lucky because of the way my parents raised me my parents taught me about credit cards they taught me about debt you know now i could easily criticize my parents like why do they not teach me about investments and iras and all this kind of crap that i do know now it's because again (laughs) they didn't have any of of that stuff so you know logan will be even more lucky than i was because he'll even have not only the stepping stone that I have, but he'll be able to step on my shoulders and understand things that I'm able to teach him. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. Right. We're supposed to uplift the next generation, right? And I think that's getting lost. Yeah. I think I have a a great point. And let's say that, that we may do that, right? Because we care enough, but there's going to be kids. There's going to be a segment of society that gets lost out there. Right. Oh, easy. And the only place that we have that we could possibly make that up, would be like in public schools, right? Yeah. And look what shambles our public schools are in. And I don't think it's because of the quality of the teachers. I think it's not some, the teacher's fault at all. I think there's some great teachers out there. I think it's, I don't know if it's the Board of Education, if it's the curriculum, the people who decide the curriculum. I don't know where it comes from, but why are they not teaching these kids I think about so. smart investing for the future? Well, first of all, they didn't teach that when I was in high school at yeah, all. Yeah, they didn't teach it either. At all. Um, I got so lucky with that because, again, my parents taught me about credit cards and how that can work and things like that. So I got a credit card as soon as, as, soon as I turned 18. And this was something I did. I just got lucky. It was like, I don't know, I had an epiphany. Like one, I guess one of the few times my brain was working. I was like, hey, I went to my parents, went to my dad. I was like 18 in a couple days or whatever. I was like, dad, I got an idea. He goes, okay, what's this idea? I was like, I need to borrow $1,000. He was like, what the hell do you need $1,000 for? Yeah. I said, I was like, I'm not going to spend a dime of it. I was like, I'm going to take your $1,000. Because I had some money. I had like 
couple hundred dollars in the bank or, or whatever. I had some money. About like what I got now. Yeah. <laughs> so I had some money because I've been working and stuff. But I was like, hey, I want to take that $1,000, go to a local bank, use that $1,000 as collateral, and take out a $1,000 loan. And I, I did that. I walked into the loan, walked into the bank with $1,000, said, hey, I want to take out a loan for $1,000. They're like, oh, well, you can't. I'm like, well, I have $1,000 collateral. And they were like, why in the world would you take out a loan? And they just did it for me. I was like, great, did it? You built your credit. Exactly. When I was 19, I, I was, was able to get dude, my – I was – dude, at 18, I, I did it twice. I did it two months. I did it two six-month intervals. I did yeah. it, paid it off, paid like, what, 90 bucks in interest over the year. And then I did it again for another six months. I did that twice. I took out two loans. My credit score was like 680 when I was like yeah. 19. And I was able to get my first car without a cosigner. Right. So that was a so those were the things that were able to help me get that first house to live that American dream because I got lucky as far as like how I was raised. And the problem is, and I feel awful for a lot of people. Number one, public schools don't give you any of that. Yeah. Which if and that's one reason why we're yanking our kid out of public school is because number one, it's kind of a waste of time, unfortunately. It's not the teacher's fault. The teachers are fantastic. They've got way too much on their plate as far as how many kids are in their class. First of all, the quality of the kids in class are way different probably than I was a kid because parent, there's just, there's such a gap in parenting. It seems too. but yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I'm almost trying to like get, like, I feel like the public school system is like heading towards like a train wreck or if it's not already a train wreck, it's getting close. Like it's a train wreck. So I'm basically just literally not because I'm like have anything against public. If public schools were better and all this stuff, I'll leave my kid in public school. But it's like I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and pull him off the train, and crashes. exactly. Yeah. So that's kind of my view on, on that part, and that kind of sucks. Um, yeah, I'm I'm, gonna, I'm glad that you're adventurous enough to do that. Well, I'm not. I'm lucky. I've got my my wife stays at home. Yeah, you know she's at, we're able to do that. And again, kind of the same way. The only reason we're able to do that is because of the way I was raised. I was, I'm smart. Like we're we know how to budget things yeah. like that. When Courtney actually quit working it's scary when you're yanking out you know 50 grand out of your yeah, you know right, it was right, terrifying yeah. we're actually putting more money in savings we're putting more money in savings and investments now than when than she was working because you have that mentality now. exactly you know how to do it you practice that exactly right. so me and whitney, i don't think we've ever learned <laughs> whitney she stayed at home with jonathan when he was first born for a few years and uh she's miserable Whitney's a worker. Yeah. Like she is a go-getter. She has to be involved in that kind of corporate structure. She she likes that. Not everybody likes that. Um, so, yeah, I, I applaud you guys for being risk takers like that because I'm too afraid to do that. Well, we're it's not a big risk for us because, first of all, we got married very young. And I, I even tell people, like, honestly, it's a huge benefit to get married young. Yeah. To get married. At, we were 20 and 21 when we got married. Which is, again, if my son comes up, to, we only dated seven months, which is completely, again, psychotic. Like if Logan walks up to me, he's like, hey, I'm going to marry this girl I've known for six months. I'm like, you're a Looney Tune. Don't do that. Yeah. But it worked out. But it gave me and Courtney a long time to, number one, learn each other. Yeah. Number two, we were able to actually build up enough to be able to make that decision where she could stay home and raise the kids and be able to help with the homeschooling. And that's what we're doing. We're actually going to do a co-op. Um, pod. So Courtney will have her own next. I think next year she's going to do the nursery. Yeah. Um, but eventually she's going to be teaching a class and Courtney always wanted to be an English teacher. So it kind of goes hand in hand. 
Now, of course, she's not going to make money, which is, you know, who cares? We don't care about that yeah, part. Also, she's I there with raising. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I say, I, I try not to be traditionalist, but sometimes I think that just, it seems to work in certain aspects. And, I mean, human society was kind of built that way, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and it was. And um, not to say that we were, you know, like you said, I mean, if you look back through human history, it's often bloody and violent. And, you know, one tribe conquered another, right? And people identifying with, you know, create this identity, you know, I belong to this tribe, so we're better than you. And yeah. On the tradition. Yeah. On the traditionalist thing, it's like, I encourage people like, Hey, that's the, in my opinion, it's the best route to go, but I'm glad we live in a system that you can choose what you want. Cause I, I don't want anyone to be forced to do anything or to feel like they have to go that route. So like you I don't listen to that Dan Carlin special on uh, first world war. Do you remember that part where he was talking about like, how do you motivate these guys to join up? How do you get into and how the British army would do things like they would have these packs of like pretty girls yes. that would go around and like this, shame. That people. is nuts. That is you know, crazy. Back to a so, so for people who know. don't know that, tell that, Tell what they would do. Like, go ahead and tell that part because that is such an insane motivator. Um, well, I mean, it, I don't know exactly all the details, but I just remember um, what he was talking about was uh, in Britain, like, if when before the draft, when they were trying to get people to volunteer to join mm-hmm. the military because they were losing so many men on the Western Front yeah. that every country was like in this mad rush to try to get people in the army and train. I want to say in the first month of that war, I want to say a million and a half people died. Yeah. I want to say it was like 700,000 French died in like that first month or two. Yeah. Which is again, just completely nuts. And I want to say that the Germans also lost, lost like 750,000 men. This is just nuts. Just just, nuts. Yeah. Or maybe it was 300, maybe it was 700,000 total. Whatever it was, it was such an insane number. But yeah, the fact that they would hire those young girls to go to the street and they would just look for men of military age and they would all just surround them and just parade them. Heckle them. Yeah. Heckle them until they went. I mean, can you imagine that happening nowadays? Oh, God. Can you imagine a dude like walking through Walmart and like, Six like pretty girls run up and just start screaming that you're a draft. I can't believe you're a draft. Officer. You're you're a pansy. You're a loser. I mean, that again goes back to kind of like this whole World War Three thing coming up. You know, because I also I also just finished another one with like the Spanish American War. Yeah. Like they didn't have enough. They couldn't fill enough. There were so many people trying to join. They couldn't even like they had to turn people away. They turn people away. Yeah. If that happens now. First of all, I think I absolutely I disagree. We should be going to war over Ukraine and, and all that. So I'll just put that out there right now. Like, I don't think we should be going to I mean, war for, for this right now. I think it's bonkers. But again, if something really pops off, I I can't, I don't see people just running to, to go fight. What, what do you think false flag event will happen to, to draw? <laughs> I think they've already tried. I mean, how many, I mean, how many, different things need to keep happening you know we've had station troops over in poland you know. did you see the leaks have you read any of those ukraine docu- i haven't got a chance i saw oh that the leaker was arrested though he was a like a 21 year old kid like in a discord like a what was it like a he, Fortnite discord uh no what was it minecraft minecraft yeah it was a yeah. minecraft discord center and it was up for like six months 
before anyone realized Anybody it. Anybody realized it, yeah. But yeah, that one was nuts. So some of the things that came out. So first of all, we have boots on the ground already. Yeah. Yeah, we have. I mean, I think we all kind of assumed we had boots on the ground. Right. But now it's like official, and now they're trying to say, oh, well, they're only there to protect the embassy. It's hilarious. So the, so the UK have people on the ground already. The French flat out said, oh, that's not true. We don't have people over there. It's like, bro, we literally have the briefings of like showing like <laughs> these, the these French troops like over yeah. there. And there's nobody here, no? And man, uh, yeah, it's, it's just nuts. So again, if something really pops off, I almost feel like some people like cheer or like happy. Like happy that the U.S. is going down. Like I've had, I have a couple friends who are, and, and I, I understand the sentiment, right? You know, you hear some of the, you know, America, we're the the terrorists of the world. Like, first of all, I can't actually agree with that sentiment, but I, I do too. You know, yeah, I, I agree with that. Some kind of truth. You know, it. I agree with that, but the whole like, I don't want the country to fall because you know I kind of live here and I kind of have a family and I don't right. want to see my kids like. I have no I future generation, you know, that says, well, we just let America fall. Right? Yeah. I almost feel like it's, it's a, I don't want my kid coming back to me and going, why did you let this happen? Exactly. I really, and that's what scares me. I, I don't know, man, there's a lot going on right now in the world that just kind of scares me. And it probably wouldn't scare me as much if I didn't have kids. <laughs> like if I didn't have kids, yeah. you know, I've, so we were older when we have, when we had our kids, you know, I was 30, uh, almost 30 when my son was born. And then I was, 35 when when our youngest daughter was born so at least I have some perspective but it's like so, what scares me about all this like this whole world war this whole world war that could happen Jonathan is going to get drafted Jonathan is really close even 10 years away from now yeah. scares Smarter. me um, for what and why would we for what that's right. the problem right now like I'm all for us you know protecting the homeland and doing things like that and if there was some like some existential threat, obviously we need to go get after it. But right now with like this whole Ukraine thing, I'm like, I mean, let's be real. It's kind of just a territory dispute from a part of a world that's, that's been disputed for thousands of years. I mean, Ukraine has been part of Poland. So it's been Russia, part of Russia. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, uh, Ukraine uh, with, with the, the original capital. Kiev was the original Greece. capital, yeah, right? Kiev was the re- That's where the Russian language started. I still call it Kiev. Kiev. Just doesn't sound What like is it supposed to be? I'm too stupid I know, to know. I think it's supposed to be Kiev. Okay. Like it's well, Kiev. I apologize to all the Ukrainians out there. Like, I apologize. Like, I don't know, you know, which way the capital is supposed to go. And it's not that I don't feel for these individuals. Because I do. I feel terrible for them. You know, I think it's awful what's happening. Like they should not, this war should no, not be happening. No, no, it's, and it's sick and it's vile and it's all the things that it is. But it do I want my, but, but do I want your son to go die? Because let's be honest, Ukraine has been nothing but a laundry scheme, laundering operation for several of our world, our leaders. And it's not just the Bidens. It's, it's, I think Pelosi's kid's been over there. Uh, Mitch Romney's kids been over there. Yeah. So this isn't a left right thing, Democrat Republic. They, they it's an establishment. Sit, they all sit on the board of all these various Ukrainian yes. companies. And so yeah, I don't want our kids to go a, to go die so that we can keep laundering money to the establishment. It's I, completely bonkers. I told you about the Martyr Bay podcast, right? Which one is that? Go ahead. The one with uh, Daryl Cooper. Okay, no, I need to catch up on that. You need, one. Yeah, you need to check that one out. He's got some really long heart. Like he's like Dan Carlin Jr. Does does he do it through his? Um, does, is it the same podcast that him and Jocko do, or is it a separate? It's a pod- different one. What is it called? Uh, Martyr Made. 
Martyr Maid. Yeah. Okay. I need to check that yeah. one. I was actually looking for that podcast. He, he does very good. Like he tells the story behind it. Oh, I got to get on his that. First one is okay. A, the first one I think he has listed on there is like a six episode. Each episode's three and a half hours long. Oh, so it's a, very Carlin like. Yeah. Uh, Arab Israeli conflict. Going back to the pogroms and, and so that, when did that happen? So when was the Israel Israeli? Was that when would that conflict happen? Was that the seventies or which one? Oh no no going going back further like when oh uh, okay. like the the into the Jewish diaspora, um, you know like what they experienced during Russia and parts of Europe and things like that and how those certain events led to uh, the modern era World War One like mm-hmm. how the the Zionist movement. Uh, came to be about the return back to Israel and have our own homeland and how that established in the late 1900s or late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, funny, funny, cool thing about this is what I didn't know what I learned about this was um, Zionism was actually a, a conflict with Bolshevism in the early part of the Russian Revolution because Jews had lived in Russia uh, for a long, long time. They'd been persecuted but when the Bolsheviks took over, mm-hmm. they were like, no, don't persecute the Jews anymore. We're all citizens. Okay. Uh, so they were finally included. And uh, because of that, they rallied to the communist side. And uh, some of the, the first secret police uh, under the Bolsheviks were mainly Jewish. So is that part of why they think they established like like Israel to get some of those folks to like leave and go there or was it so they could have an ally in the middle East or it was more so they could have just, no, it was more so, um, no, they, they were opposed to Zionism. They're like, I don't want to go to Israel. Zionism is trying to recruit all these Jews in Mm -hmm. Russia. And, um, and you know, I I may have my facts a little bit mixed up from my understanding though. They were trying to, um, well, you do have a degree in this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) From the University of Arkansas, Monticello. What are those, the bull weevils? Yeah, the bull weevils. Okay, go bull weevils. weevils. There you go. Um, But um, Zionism and Bolshevism kind of happened at the same time, right? Okay. Um, During World War I. Mm -hmm. People forget how big World War I was, right? Because World War II overshadowed it. I mean, they have like 50 more million people die. I guess it becomes more important. Um, Yeah. all, all the territorial disputes and the end of the, that was the end of the Victorian era yeah. of, you know, this of Europe. And that, that always is amazing to me how everybody almost is a positive. I think it's getting off key here, but um, the Zionism was to return to Israel. Mm-hmm. We need our own homeland. And when Britain got it at the end of the war, when they claimed that from the Turks at the end of the war, they propagated. It's like, if we don't have a problem with it, go ahead, just move mm-hmm. over there. We'll, and, um, but yeah, the, the Jews that were, a lot of them were attracted to communism. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where, because of what they finally got their first time. They actually were like included, like they you were said, included. Yeah. And, uh, they lived over there. They grew up over there. They spoke Russian, you know, they didn't speak. Wait, so you're either. telling me that like Catholic Europe wasn't nice to Jews. Yeah. It's terrible <laughs> to them. Yeah. Is it, but the Russians were the same. Orthodox Christianity wasn't any better, right? It's like yeah, yeah. It was like oh, there's low wheat. Blame it on the Jews, you know. So strange, everything. Yeah, such a and weird part of where you know part of how Germany got behind, um, you know, expelling the Jews and, and the Holocaust was 
Um, it's because didn't a lot of the Jews in Germany like go with that Bolshevik? No. Did no. they have that idea there? Or no. Okay. It was hyperinflation, right? Yeah. So imagine your house, your life savings, your 401k, everything becomes worthless. You have to sell your house to eat and you have to sell it for pennies on the dollar, right? So you're talking about what's going to happen here in about eight months when the petrodollar falls. It possibly, yeah. <laughs> should sell your house to, to get food yeah. to eat, right? Um, and, you know, this is hyperinflation after World War One in Germany. And, uh, you know, the, the right mark or whatever their currency was wasn't stable. The um, A lot of the Jews acted as brokers for foreign companies because they had relatives all over mm-hmm. the world, right? In America, in France, in Britain, uh, who had stable currencies. They would buy up those houses cheap. And then they were putting people, Germans, ordinary Germans out on the street. Gotcha. And so that's where some. So of, that's where some all that whole. Right. Oh, it's their it fault. It wasn't just the Jewish. It was yeah. Just, it was, everybody was doing it, but the Jews had a lot of connections over in America, and so it made them able to broker. So they business. were like the pre-Black Rock on this. <laughs> What's yeah. happening right yeah, now? I mean, it was it was an opportunity, right? Well, yeah, like yeah, of course. You know, house here in Berlin for pennies on the dollar. Let's do it. And you know, a lot of that is, and it's smart too. You know, I mean, when it comes to you know. You know, yes, people say like the worst thing about Jewish folks, you know, oh, they're this or that. I'm like, no, it's because they're tight knit community that's very focused on, you know, education, working hard. I'm very impressed with a lot of the Jewish people. I mean, oh yeah, because it, again, they're they're it's that same, it's that mentality, it's it's that cultural mentality of you know, faith, family, hard work, right. you know, and they're so protective of their kids, and everyone should be. I mean, that, I think that's one of the again we talk about parents and kids and stuff. It's it's like, man, you kind of – it's that dichotomy, right? Like you don't want to be the helicopter parent. You know, yeah. you don't want to be that. But then you also don't want to be like, oh, I just want my kid to figure it out. No, no, no. Your job as a parent is to rear your child and to guide them through life until they're smart enough, till their brain develops, and then they can pick it off from there. Yeah. But, yeah, like, I'm not going to let, like, my 12-year-old, like, figure things. I'm like, no. Like, I'm going to, like, like, hey – this is how things work. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to guide you. Now, if yeah. you tell me like, hey, I want to be a, I don't know. I want to be an interpretive dancer. Okay, great. We're, we're gonna, we'll, if that's the route you want to go, let's figure out how we get you there so that you can like support yourself, <laughs> you know, through that. And you suck at this. Cause you, yeah, it's like, you need to have a backup plan. Like, yeah, you want to be an interpretive dancer. Like, bro, we're going to start dancing a lot. Like, like you're going to be dancing three hours a day because if you do want to do that, then you better go get after it. I can't instill in my kids enough. Um, If you want to be good at something, you have to practice. Nobody starts off. I mean, there's natural talents that you're never going to overcome. But if you want to be good at something, you have to practice over and over and over and over again. Even when you don't want to practice, even when you hate it, even when you don't want to do it anymore. Isn't that when you appreciate stuff though more? When you go through the suffering, yeah. you suck at something, and then you finally get it right, and you're like, "Oh, dude, finally got it." That's right. you know, that's where you know, that's how humans are designed, right? I think we're just designed to suffer. You know, I think to a just, certain extent, yeah. Of course, yeah. It shapes us and, and molds us to who we are. I mean, I, I think you know, I believe that there's certain socialistic things that can, you know, socialism in a way should pave the road for capitalism. Should be the highway in certain instances. 
you know, medical care, mm-hmm. uh, things of that nature. Um, Man, I would. But then I'm also yeah. thinking there's going to be people out there who take advantage of that. Well, would you want the U.S. government running anything? Right. They're right. terrible. Because then now they're awful. Now whoever, whatever agency is going to run it, they're going to be taken on trips. They're going to be given money by corporate donors. You know what would have been good? Influence the policy. I would have been great with universal health care and all that if the people in the 50s had done it. Those folks knew how to like run things. It's like right now, for whatever reason, nothing works anymore. Like we're just incompetent. You it's look at the Af- you look at the Afghanistan withdrawal, oh dude. That was God. complete incompetence. You look at the railroad situations. They, they, you know, all these railroads are crashing. First of all, they've been crashing for years. Right. We on average we have a thousand we, derail- we have a thousand derailments a year, and it's been that yeah. way for like twenty five years or whatever. Yeah. It's incompetence. We never fixed it because we're incompetent. We're incompetent. We're greedy. Like I said, we're beholden to corporate greed. And and again, I'll put on my lip, my, my lip hat and agree with all that stuff because it's, it's true. You know, you look at it, again, it's just, it's a competence, it's greed. And it's just like right now, like even like the Keystone pipeline, like, you know, a lot of people, you know, griped at Biden. I griped at Biden too. Like there's a lot to gripe about, but why, who was lobbying that? It was Warren Buffett. Why was Warren Buffett lobbying so hard to close that pipeline? Right. Oh, it's because, I don't know, maybe he owns a rail car and 30% of all the energy goes through his rail system. Yeah. So it's not because he wants the country to be better or environmental and all that crap people throw out. No, it's greed. It's pure 100% greed. And our government is just so complacent, or not complacent, they're just, um, what's the word I'm looking for because I'm an idiot? Uh, They're culpable. Yeah. They're all involved with it. Yeah, of course. Hey, I'm going to get this through, buddy. You know, so you, do, do I'll you, see you at the Hamptons. Yeah. So you really want me letting those folks run our health? First of all, our healthcare system. Right, that's exactly what would happen. Yeah. It's, it's exactly the same thing. You'll have some other investor, just like with, again, I won't go too far into this with you. you know, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a big, you know, I, you, I'm an anti-vaxxer now. I'm not really an anti-vaxxer, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I told you I'd come visit you in the camp, Cody. You would, I need someone to hide me. Like, are you gonna let me? Like, I want to Anne Frank it. You know, I'll, I'll just live in your walls, and you know, when, when they come looking to, to 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 vaccinate me, you can just you know knock three times, and I'll so, be quiet. I've done some research, man. You know, I had my medical scare, and, and I went through a lot. And yeah, I've got to take certain medications now, and uh, there's one. Um, it's really great. It's fantastic. Great job from pharmaceutical companies for developing this. Um, you know, blah, 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 because it keeps people out of the hospital. It keeps people alive. It's uh, fantastic for people who had heart failure. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you're here, brother. Yeah, me too, man. I'm actually healthier than I was before I went in. So, you know. It's, it's not saying much. <laughs> <laughs> no, you do look good. You did. How much have you dropped? Like 30 pounds? It's about, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I lost 30 pounds and I gained it back. So I'm back to being a fat, stupid idiot. Yeah, but you're still young enough to where you can get away with it. I know. Well, I'm not, I can't get away with it anymore. I've got to. I'm starting to get myself back into it. Yeah. And that's honestly one reason why I'm wanting to do this podcast is for accountability. Yeah. So I think if I'm out here actually like spewing something, whatever it may be, then maybe like I'll actually like keep up with it. Right. Because I don't want to be doing this in like five years and still be saying, oh, oh I've gained 30 more pounds. Yeah. No, no, no. So maybe. Yeah, I mean, I'm lost. Um, I went in when I went into the hospital, dude, I weighed 212. So I weighed 188. 
I weighed 188 yesterday. Nice, man. Congrats. 187.7 or something like that. Um, and that's, I think that's the lowest I got. When I left the hospital, I only weighed 174, but I was shriveled up and dude, I, I couldn't, I was so puny and weak. I remember looking at myself in the mirror. How many weeks were you there? Two, two full weeks. One completely intubated. Yeah, I remember that happened because uh, when probably, it was, it was probably, probably the vaccine, but you know, we won't go there. Oh, I mean, I do. Trust me, I'll go there. I'll, I'll go there all day long. I'm actually hoping to uh, have a friend on um, who's a doctor. And me and him, ha- and again, dude's 10 times, 20 times my intelligence, you know, but I felt like he just kind of got captured in some of it mm-hmm. with maybe not, not willingly. So I love, I hope we have him on at some point. So I'm curious if, if he's changed kind of his view of, of how kind of all this goes, right. You know, these last couple of years have been so weird and I'm, COVID made America so weird, didn't dude, it? Dude, it's been so weird. I got, I'm so, so, so blessed that my son is not going to have any recollection of it. I think he had to wear a mask twice. Uh, Carter had to wear a mask um, for kindergarten. And I mean, that was part what of What about your oldest, though? I mean, that's something that, that's going to be in his memory forever. I would go pick that kid up at middle school. Or does he not care? I would pick that kid up at middle school. There he was, like half of his hanging off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, well, they're kids. Kid. It was every kid everywhere. Like, you know. And I hate that he missed. Here's the thing, though. You guys are great parents, so I know he didn't miss <laughs> years of education. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not going to, like, cripple him as far as his life is going to go. But, man, I felt bad for oh, so it, many it kids. Did. I, mean, did I it? still think it crippled him. I think, I think, I mean, not crippled him for life. Like, I mean, he eventually got back into the swing of things. He did crippled me for a little bit, man. I mean, I yeah. lost my job. I mean, I was destitute, waiting for stuff to open up and happen, and, you know, it was just oh, it was terrible. Dude, it was, that is made, awful. The, the country was at each other's throats over it, and, and I was just like, man, what happened in a month? Dude, I lost some good friends over a vaccine. Over my decision, like, they just, some, a couple yeah, people just basically, I'm like, it's just, it was so weird. It's so weird to go back and think about, like, I lost people over a medical decision, yeah, a personal medical decision that at the time, like when I smart thing. Yeah. When I made the choice, like not to get vaccinated, first of all, I'd already had COVID, you know, when I got COVID, it was like February. I got COVID. I I got COVID. That was actually when we first started trying to do something like this. Yes. Um, And I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point. uh, Kind of what I originally tried. And I I really, and honestly that man, I really, that was a good faith effort. Yeah. From what I was trying to do. And it was, uh, I guess I'll just tell people. So, so I had this weird idea of getting together, you know, five or six people from the left, the right center, whatever you want to call it, come together, kind of a think tank kind of deal and put some stuff on paper, some policies, maybe some things we could do that would be better for the country or, you know, not, we were starting with the state, you know, kind of some things that with the state that, you know, kind of pulled from both. And, you know, try to maybe try to get something going with it, you know. And, of course, it crashed and burned. Um, you know, my it's I'm to blame on part of it because when it was was actually we were supposed to have like our first live one, our first live debate or whatever. Uh, my wife was really, really worried about, you know, putting that out there. What if it actually did catch on? You know, no one wants to be a public figure, you know. Right, right. And I get that sentiment. 
But uh, even she's kind of had a, a change of heart the way some of the things are going because if we're going to fix anything in this country, people are going to have to step up. And it's, it doesn't need to be me. Lord, heaven forbid, if I'm the person who has to go run for something, we're in a heap of mess because I'm an idiot. No one should vote for me. No one should listen to me. I'm a moron. Well, no, the fact that you know that you're an idiot. Or no, but I'm an idiot. Same with that. I, that's how I think. Yes. I'm an idiot. The moron. No one should listen to me. I, but that's what's sad is like the smart people, the better people, either A, they're corrupt, or they're too focused on living their actual no, life. The actual smart people are yes. the ones who doubt themselves. And that's part of the problem, right? It's the idiots who are so convinced that their way and there's no other way. Um, Smart people, and this has been my experience, really intelligent, smart people doubt themselves constantly because they start seeing different angles from different approaches and be like, maybe I shouldn't try this because it's fucking up over here. Maybe I can do this better yeah. by doing it this way. Or you know, or maybe they're right. just smart enough to go, I don't want my family exposed to all these psychopaths nowadays. Because it's not like... You know, when you were a senator from Arkansas or wherever in the 50s or the 60s, people couldn't just go find where your family was. Right. You know, it was it's everything's so connected now. And the sad part is, in order for anyone to actually, like, get anything, you have to have, like, your viral moments and all this BS now they've got to do. It's like, man, people who could actually go make changes, they don't want that. They don't want yeah. to be in front of all this crap. Like, I would love to go, you know, to have, like, you know, to go to Congress and do stuff. But it's all televised. It's not even just televised anymore. It's, you know, you just maybe walk through the halls and some dude walks up to you with a phone in your face and, like, right. you know, does all that kind of stuff. And it's just, Why I don't know, you man. yourself and your family through that? So that's actually, uh, since we're kind of talking about that, I'm, like, 100% on board. I think we need to go back to smoke-filled rooms with no cameras. I think that the that they actually need to do that because right now you know every all of the different you know committee meetings they're all they're all aired now on C-SPAN right yeah all that's out there I mean, it, and it's good right like I'm all for transparency but if you're gonna have a real conversation the, the real deal is going behind it it's still in those most rooms I think yeah uh, but and, and they're not but they're not between the Congress they're, they're not between uh, congressional members they're a bunch of lobbyists right they're a bunch of lobbyists. With the congressional members. Yeah. And that's a whole other thing, too. Like, how do you get politics? How do you get money out of politics? How do you get money? And I think both sides, center, middle, left, right, extreme left, extreme right. I think everybody, that is the one thing that everybody can agree on. They're all beholden. The only guy that I have any faith in, like one, I I have faith in one person who's up there, and that's Thomas Massey. I really, really like Thomas Massey. He's like a pretty extreme libertarian as far as I, every time I look, he doesn't have the stock trades and all that crap that folks do. Right. That's what turned me off from Crenshaw. I love Dan Crenshaw. I was like, yeah. I was like this, and I still like Dan Crenshaw. I still think the guy there's in the middle who could. Um, I still think there's something there, but not when you're running up twenty eight percent above the market on committees that you sit on um, and all that kind of stuff. So. Uh, but yeah, we're going to take just a quick break. The more likes for the right thing you do. All right. And we're back. Um, man, I completely forgot what we were talking about. We were on Dan Crenshaw and uh, Thomas Massey. Mm. We were talking about, you know, how, how you were a fan of Dan Crenshaw until. I was a fan of Crenshaw until the whole investment thing. Yeah. And then it's almost like, bro, you're just 
part of the same. And then I think what made me mad the most was like his reaction or his response to it. And it was very, it was this very, uh, uh, I can't remember what it was. It was something like, Oh, well, I'm just trying to do the betterment of my family. I'm not allowed to better myself. Yes. Yeah, I'm like, bro, you literally sit on the whatever committee yeah. of how you were making it. Uh, a really funny one. It's a really, it's a fun account. Uh, if you're on Twitter, it's called uh, unusual whales. I think it's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's unusual whales. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, Tommy Tupperville. Yeah. Has been one of the most like just a shill. It's just hilarious. He just <laughs> bought and paid. He just did like five hundred, like five hundred thousand dollars in this, and he's like in this agriculture or whatever. He sits on the agricultural, committee, you know, committee, yeah. and it's such a joke, man. So I don't even know how you go in and fix it. I feel like if some idiot like me got voted in, first thing I would do is be like, "Hey, you're, you know." I, I don't know how you would square that hole because, you know, d- would you just go up there and just yell at these people and tell them they're a bunch of corrupt idiots? Well, if you do that, you'll get nothing done, right? Right. So it's like, where do you, how would you fit that in? Because, yeah, if some idiot like me ever got voted in, I would literally just go up there on the on the Senate floor and just flat out call them what they are, you know? And then I'd probably get shot like a week later, especially if I mentioned we should like <laughs> audit the Federal Reserve. <laughs> That's like automatic you're right. gone i yeah, think the- i think that's the big problem i mean policy <laughs> policy is shaped by the corporations 100 percent um it's almost like you know uh you look at nazi germany and then you know italy and um during fascism it was almost a little bit it's, it's almost reversed right like you know hitler and mussolini got the corporations behind mm-hmm. uh the state right See, I do not know. Yeah. See, that's one thing I don't know. I don't know I mean, a lot about how they're about how Volkswagen and, you know, and BMW did this and did that. And, you know, you hear about all this kind of stuff and Bayer, you know, Bayer, mm-hmm. uh, the, the pharmaceutical company, you know, you hear about all these connections to, to fascism and Nazism. Well, it's because Hitler got them on board. But it's almost reverse here. It's like fascism, but the corporations have to get the Congress on board. They have to get the senators on board. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I'm a, I mean, I can't stand Trump. I can't stand the dude. He annoys me. It's not somebody I'd sit down with and have a conversation. No, if my son goes like, Hey, I want to grow up and be just like that guy. I'm like, no, I don't want you to be orange. <laughs> I don't want you to be like, yeah, I don't want you to be that guy. But at the same time, I get why people voted for him. I can, oh, I'll, I'll be 100%. Completely. No, I voted for him twice. I voted for him twice. And both times I kind of like held my nose up doing it. Or like, you know, kind of had to like, you know, like close my nose right. because of how it made me feel gross and doing it. Go home and take a shower. Yeah, exactly. But I, um, get, I get why people voted for him, you know, now. Well, the first time for me, it was a hundred percent. It was more me voting against Hillary. Right. It than it was voting it Trump. You know, yeah. cause I was also, like, I don't know. A joke on when did, let, let me ask, this is a question for you. So, cause I look up to you a lot. Probably a lot more than I probably should. Yeah, definitely more than you probably but, should. Uh, but I, I've honestly looked up to you for, for a lot of years, um, for a lot of your perspectives of things you've helped me kind of break away from my mold. And one of them was like uh, like Israel, for instance, and like the USS Liberty. Right, right. Really kind of opened up kind of like breaking away, I guess, like my brainwashing that I've been under, right? Because if you would have asked 
me in 2005, 2006, um, what do I think? And at that point, I, w- I was 18 years old, 18, 19 years old. What did I think about the Iraq war? I would have been like, you know, it's, you know, we're fighting against, you know, terrorism and, Sa- you know, Saddam Hussein was this horrible, so, horrible thing that we need to say it against the, you evil. know, and here's the thing. All those things are true, right? Like Saddam Hussein was horrible. We found mass graves, da, 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 da. So when did you finally like kind of realize it was all bullshit? <laughs> like, like the corporatism and like the, the government and how it's all tied together. When did you kind of start breaking away from the typical mold? It was the Iraq war. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's funny you brought that up. I mean, that was the, so when did you know that the WMDs was a bunch of crap? I can't pinpoint it exactly, but there seemed to be all kinds of little stuff coming out, mm-hmm. right? You know, WMDs were... Let's uh, see. So if I would have been 18 in 2005 and you're 12 years, so you would have been like right at 30. Yeah. So yeah, your brain was halfway developed <laughs> at it, that it point. It just seemed like uh, it just seemed like it was made up almost. Like, I mean, I understand Afghanistan, right? Yeah. So Watched the World Trade Centers happen. You know, it was one of the most horrific events in American history. And oh, I remember. You know, it was like, yeah, we need, go, we need to go get his ass, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then all of a sudden, it became you know a couple of years into that, it became about Saddam Hussein, and he's sponsoring terrorism. When did the Iraq War officially start? Was it two thousand like two? Two, I think. Yeah. Was it about a year after nine eleven? Something like that. Nine eleven. It's like, why are they bringing? Saddam Hussein into this. Because remember, they said that it was, oh, well, the terrorists also came from the, from there and all this other stuff. And I was like, no, dude. First of yeah. all, it was all, what was it, 11 out of the 12 were Saudis? So actually, actually, it kind of went back before that. Okay. I, it kind of actually went back to the first Gulf War. And, and this is, the first Gulf War, I was 16. Mm-hmm. I was I was ready to go, man. I was like, man, I hope this thing lasts more than two years. And, I, you know, I'm going <laughs> to the military and I'm ready to fight Iraq and blah, blah, blah. And, um... Then I started reading up on it, and um, kind of the history of it was was kind of a weird deal. Like you know, I didn't know much about the Iran Iraq War. I didn't know much about the Saudis and the revolution and how the Saudis were terrified of the Iranian Revolution. And uh, I didn't know much about Saddam and his Ba'athist party. Yeah, um, it was just oh, he's a bad guy, right? But then I started reading, going back into the history. And this is where it gets starts to get deep right mm-hmm. um i don't know if you know about nasser um, no educate me my friend egypt right okay uh, egypt was kind of the so the the there's a saying i read in a book one time i can't remember who said it but it was like uh, muslim fundamentalism was born in an egyptian present really okay yeah and um nasser i can't remember his first name or how you say it it's like Ball, Abdul Nasser or whatever, but he was the leader of Egypt and he believed in a movement called Pan-Arabism, right? Like maybe the Arabs should all unite under one ruler, under mm-hmm. one country. It would be a socialist country um, and they would finally drive out. Was the, he trying to rebuild like Muhammad's like original empire? In like a way, the, the, the yeah. Arab, the, in the, a way, but under a. What was a Muhammad's empire? A, Did we just Was that like a, the Arab empire? What, what was that called? Do you know? Because I honestly don't know. Well, that, that, that's where, yeah, that's where I start to. Um, there's, there's a great book okay. called "The Concise History of the Middle East." The title sounds completely fucking boring, 
A concise history of the Middle East, right? It sounds terrible. The concise history. Like, we're getting it all in there. Yeah, we're going to get it all in this one book. Um, But he, it's probably one of the most well-written history books I've ever read in my entire life. Okay. Because it tells it like a narrative, like a story, right? And then he he goes through and he explains, um, you know, the founding of the religion, you know, the tenets of the religion. You have to understand Islam if you're going to understand the Middle East. And and then, you know, he goes through where um, Muhammad led and he conquered, he converted all these Mm -hmm. people. And uh, we're talking North Africa. Okay. Uh, we're talking, you know, Lebanon, Syria, um, Levant, I guess you would call that area, which okay. is like Lebanon and Syria, um, Iraq, all that is under these little different kingships and he united them all, blah, 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 Iran. Um, and then he dies, right? And then I can't remember kind of what happens. Isn't it funny time. how that happens? These, these, these great men build empires and then die. Alexander the Great. Great. (laughs) I love that we both went straight for Alexander. Because he was what, 32 when he died? Charlemagne, right? Charlemagne in in Europe, you know, to the Franks and Germany. Uh, How many cons did that? Three, I think three times that happened where like the con died, like right when they were like on the precipice. Yeah. Of course there's a power struggle. And like, that's Um, what is beautiful about our country is we don't have that power struggle, which is but the, the, beautiful. The, but, the caliphate, yeah. there was the caliphate, right? Okay. Which was like the, the leader. Uh, he was also religious, but he was the leader of, um, you know, the Islamic empire, right? Yeah. And there was a lot of great things that happened over there. Algebra is actually named after a guy named Al-Jabbar, you know? And I'm really excited. So I'm actually going to have uh, a gentleman on the podcast. He, he's a doctor as well, but, mm-hmm. uh, He's a doctor. He's a brown brown jiu I'm really, really excited to have him on. Yeah. Um, but the real the reason – ha- and I told him this too after he, you know, me and him. I was like, hey, man, why don't you come on? He's like, oh, absolutely, man. We'll talk. I'm like, no, no, no. I was like, man, he's Muslim. Like that's what I'm really excited to like talk to him about because it, he's, he's a practicing Muslim. Um, or So because I know so little of like the religion and like that region. Like I know – I know probably more than your average bear walking around, you know, but it's just, I'm really excited to sit down with him and really let him just, just fill me in on how kind of this, a lot of this stuff. Cause again, it's so, yeah, it's so I'll, foreign I'll to me. Listen to that one for sure. Well, yeah, it's, it's cause it's I, an amazing I'm, story. It is. And I'm so alien to it because we yeah. didn't, again, we grew up in America, right? We learned about the crusades. We learned about, you know, uh, Christianity and, and that, which is, you know, again, it's great to learn, but again, we missed a whole chunk of the world. Right. Yeah. A whole chunk of the world that contributed greatly while Europe was going through the dark ages. Right. Yes. Um, and that's one of the most, so that's one. Of, so there, there's where the schism was, was when like Muhammad died and who was supposed to be the heir successor yeah. to the empire. Sorry. We're uh, talking about Egypt. Let's get back. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, let, let you then, continue. Yeah, one led to uh, one led to um, you know the people believe he had to be a descendant of Muhammad, and I think that's the Shiite. This is where I always get confused. And then the Sunnis believed it could be whoever was elected, or you know everybody agreed upon. Yeah. So there was a conflict. Well, anyway, we were talking about Saddam Hussein going back to Egypt. Well, anyway, after uh, there was a revolution because Britain had to give up all its colonies after World War II, Egypt being one of mm-hmm. them. 
Um, they didn't have control of that anymore. So the king abdicated, I think, in Egypt, or they overthrew him or something. Anyway, Nasser rose to power. He was a pan-Arabist. He preached like Arabs unite under the banner of socialism. Mm-hmm. And anybody who questioned that in his country was locked up. And most of the people who questioned that were kind of the religious fanatics, I guess. The people who believe that all Arab countries should be ruled by like an Islamic state. Mm-hmm. So he grouped them all together like in one prison, basically, from my understanding. And then the ideas of Islamic fundamentalism start spreading in the 50s. Well, they're one uniting thing. The one thing that, uh, from my understanding, that united all the Arab countries was their hatred of Israel. Right, kicked the Israelis out, so they invaded them in 1948. You know that got repelled. Uh, then again, in '56, they got beat back, and then again in was it '67, and then again in '73. So by the time this all happens, uh, it's a book called The Arab Predicament that I read on this. By the time that all happens, everybody's united around this cause. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves the Palestinian cause in the Arab countries, but they don't want the Palestinians over there. That is interesting. I've never even thought about that before is they do support these folks. And that that's where there's certain arguments I completely stay out of. Right. Um, when it comes and I, I've done it before and I've definitely messed up. So if you go find my Facebook feed or whatever, yeah, I'm sure I've said something stupid, like some, you know, some very pro Israel or whatever, but man, it's such a tit for tat back and forth for hundreds, you know, thousands of years or whatever. It's like, trying to figure out like how to even start that conversation of who's in the wrong. Well, see, I, would it, argue, it get, I would argue it gets it's hard for me. A thousand years of conflict or whatever. Is it not? It's no, the Ottomans controlled that area for a they, long time. Yeah, they did. Part of the Ottoman empire. Yeah. Cause they all, cause you know, I guess the original guy who brought them all back, cause I'm, I'm doing David, a lot of stuff in the old Testament. Oh no, I was going to go back oh, to like Cyrus the like, great. Yeah, we're gonna go all the way. We're gonna circle this back to about how long ago you know they got pulled back, and hey, you get to go back and get your land back, and uh, that's what I'm saying, man. Like again, I'm so uneducated on all that; it's so hard for me to like have like a real educated opinion um, on stuff. You know, it's it's, uh, on that part of the world. It's just hard for me. Yeah. Um, but I can definitely criticize the current Israeli so, government. I can yeah, do that all day long. You know, through all those wars, the, the Arabs lost pretty much every time, right? Um, and so the people, I guess, or, you know, the disenfranchised, the angry youth or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call them, um, they were like, well, this is bullshit. This pan-Arabism, socialism, Ba'athist party bullshit isn't working. So they started looking elsewhere, and then that's where the imams started stepping up, right? Because if you're a poor, homeless, destitute, 20-year-old with no hope or no future in the Middle East, and the only person that will help you out is in the mosque, but he's a radical Islamist, what are you going to do, right? Dude, you're going to do what the person who helps you. Yeah. Oh, shit. This guy's over here feeding me. He's giving me clothing, you know. The church is protecting me, right? It'd be like the church protecting mm-hmm. you. If the church wants me to go kill or die for somebody, I will. And this guy's preaching, you know, radical Islamic fundamentalism. And this is my very base, outside the box, Western understanding of the entire situation. Um, and it's just because of a book I read. I had to do a book review on when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that guy may be wrong, but that's what his <laughs> argument was, is that the failure of Baptist secular socialism 
led to the rise of Islamic fundamentalism because they were looking for leadership. Um, in Egypt, uh, after he died, what was the Mubarak took over, um, and then Jimmy Carter fostered all that peace and decided to give Egypt and Israel just a shit ton of money if they quit fighting one another. Mm -hmm. So they were like, oh, okay, and they quit fighting one another, right? Uh, because Egypt was always the antagonizer, or yeah. not the antagonizer, but the main country that was involved in the invasion of Israel, you know, or the ones that had the biggest conflict with Israel. So Jimmy Carter paid them off. Um, so, all right, Trust Circle is all back up. But, but Saddam Hussein yeah. was a Baptist. He was a follower of Nasser. Okay, okay, so that's where, okay. So that's where that comes in. Um and so when the Iranian revolution happened mm -hmm. and the fundamentalists took over, uh, because those students had, you know, that's the way they were wanting to go instead of this, because America had, America and Britain had been propping up the Shah of mm -hmm. Iran, giving them money, making sure he stays in power. Um, they had actually formed a elective democracy, like a parliamentarian democracy, I think. And what did America do? Sponsored a coup. Wait, <laughs> we sponsored a coup to put the Shah back in power. No, right? no. After what? the people had democratically elected this this, this new government, <laughs> dude, I put a stupid a stupid post on Facebook where I said, <laughs> "I wish the American industrial complex would." Um, if the American industrial, I can't remember how I put it, but I was basically saying, "I wish the American industrial complex would focus as much." on protecting schools as they do setting up coups around the world. Imagine where we would be at as far as like our school system, you know, the, the coups we've done are just nuts. Ridiculous. Yeah. It's nuts. And kind of going back to, to the question, For a country I, that believes that the people should be uh, adherents of self-determination. Yes. And so self, <laughs> self-determination, it's funny. I just, I'm doing, I'm doing Carlin's podcast um, again. And this is going to, so anyone listen to this, I'm going to talk about Carlin a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. I think you're. He's an Ottawa mind too. And, and I know I'm just standing on the shoulders of a better man. Right. Uh, but it's funny because he talks about that, that he literally just stands on, on the, the shoulders, shoulders of better, better men, men. And those yeah. men stand on the shoulders of better men and so on right. and so forth. So I don't feel too bad quoting him and, and using him a lot. But I just finished one on the Spanish-American War. It's called The American Peril. It's fantastic. But he but he talked about that as well. What would you call it again? What was the terminology on that? That you just said. Self-determination. Self-determination. That's what it was. Thank you. So he was talking about that because, you know, that's kind of the issue that America had after the Spanish-American War. How do we handle the Philippines? How do we handle Cuba when we're not imperialists? We're not right. taking over colonies. But with Cuba, we basically had an agreement with Spain saying if Spain doesn't have it, we have it. Period. Yeah. But what do you do? But Carlin talks about this. What do you do if the people who are there says, hey – Wait a minute. We want our own government. And then it becomes a, oh, crap. What do we do now? And kind of going back again to the question of, like, when did you kind of break away from the mold? Like, when did you kind of start seeing the that's all kind of bull crap? Uh, you know, that's kind of something newer for me. I would say for me, it started happening maybe around, like, the 2015, 2014. I started seeing things that were just, like, we're breaking kind of against like my view of like, you know, I always used to think like corporate America was good and America was good and we're bringing democracy. I was that guy. Right. I was your typical 
20-something-year-old, you know, Republican block. I was, man. I was was right there. And I still love my country. I still love our country. And that's what's really funny when I get in arguments with people who are on the right. They're like, oh, you hate this country. I'm like, dude, like, like, no, 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 no. I love the concepts this country was. I love this country. I am a conservative in so many ways. But guess what I'm conserving? I'm conserving some of the most liberal views that ever came out of the 17th. The 1700s. Right. Which was defined as liberalism. It is. And honestly. Because you were throwing off the the shackles of the oppressive, you know, break with. I've really become a a Jeffersonian. I've become a Jeffersonian over the years. And and I am. Like, and and there's a lot of things. And of course. I love Thomas Jefferson. Dude, I I love him too. And, uh, you know, and I'm sure in the future, I've got a lot of folks coming on um, who are are actually, I have one, one really good friend who just. He's starting to really get into history and stuff like that. But his view of the founding fathers are, oh, they are slaveholders, evil, bad. Like, pull them over there. Right. And I can't wait to sit down and talk with him about this because I love the founders. Yeah. I love what Jefferson did. You want to talk about people who broke the mold? I mean, I don't think it gets any more than Jefferson. Had Had Jefferson had his way, slavery would have been ended fairly quickly. Like, there's a lot of things Jefferson was going to do. Like the other founders did not want to have in there, you know, that all men are created equal. That was like, that was a big no-no to yeah. a lot of those folks. And he was the one who also fought to have the Bill of Rights installed. Yes. The like Bill of Rights. Must, dude, it, that's why I am a conservative for liberal principles. And when you say that, it breaks people's brains. Yeah. Because they don't understand what that means. Right. In the same and this is why I'm doing these podcasts and getting off of social media. I'm going to try, you know, if, if I start getting on social media again, just, just literally put the poop emoji, just, just put that on there and I'll stop. <laughs> uh, but it's, it breaks people's brains when I ex- try to explain that, like where I'm trying to conserve liberal principles, the principles of free speech, which is so liberal. That's an, ex- that's radical left. You want to talk about radical leftism? Allowing people to say whatever the heck they want to say. Because pretty much at any other time ever, you go stand on the street corner and say, hey, the king is this or that, or the emperor is this or that, or this religion is blah, you're getting your head cut off. Or you're getting shot, or you're getting beat, or whatever it is. Uh, So kind of going back to, again, kind of where things started breaking for me, is when things quit, it's like things weren't matching anymore. Uh, like principles were getting were getting messed up. Like, and it kind of happened a lot during the Trump era, with like the especially around like journalism and media. I, you know, I always kind of just believed like it's ter- it's their propag- it's pure propaganda. It's owned by corporations. And thank God for the internet. You know, the internet's got a lot of bad things, but when it comes to independent journalism and things like that, thank God for the internet. Yep. Because without that, without honestly, without that liberal and without some of these principled people, I don't know if I ever would have broke away from that Republican corporations are neo-con. good. Yeah, I would have been just your typical neo war. Yes, I would be 100% on that. So yeah. I'm glad I finally was able to kind of break away from some of that stuff and start seeing, you know, kind of the evils of both sides. Like there's a lot of problems with capitalism but without it um we're, we're all poor right. essentially we're living we're in a poor 
it, it breeds innovation. Yes, it breeds innovation, but it needs guardrails. And that's one thing that even the, Teddy the, Roosevelt, the he was a big, yes, Teddy Roosevelt was a big breaking up monopoly. Now, Teddy's got, I love Teddy. He may be one of my favorite presidents, but the more I dive into him, I'm like, there's things I disagree with him on a lot. A lot of things. A lot of things. But as but, far as. But a hundred years, like in a thousand years from now. And he was a badass. Dude, they're going to look at Teddy Roosevelt like an Alexander the Great type of figure. Yeah. That dude was a baller. Because he was one of the last, he's probably the last American president who's probably seen war, right? No, no, maybe, I. well, no, Eisenhower never actually fought on the front lines and got shot, right? He was a general. But he fought in the Spanish-American. Okay, war, okay, he? did he? Okay. Or so maybe. Spanish-American, what am I looking for here? The he very could he easily could have been. Yeah. But so but in the modern sense, that's all gone. Yeah. We don't have those type of leaders. And that's uh, 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 sorry, I, I know we're kind of rambling here, but again, kind of going back to what kind of what broke me with like certain things was like the whole Russia Gate thing. And how people like the media and everyone else have just completely thrown their principles out. Yeah. Just yeah. completely have thrown their principles out. And, but the, what opened me up when I started realizing that the FBI was doing this stuff, it made me go back. Cause again, I've studied history and stuff enough. It made me go back and realize, holy crap, they did all that crap to Martin Luther King. They did, they probably killed Malcolm X. You know, our intelligence, they killed JFK probably. It started, so all the things that liberals and leftists and all these people from like up until like, I don't know, until the orange man showed up, all that stuff that they hated about the establishment, they were right about. They were right about that corporatism. They were right about, you know, the, the, the deep state. But what's scary now is now that it's all flipped on its head, it's like those same people now are like really, really like, oh, the FBI is good and these corporations aren't that bad and the pharmaceutical companies are trying to help you. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's like, I just joined your hippie movement and you right. ran away. Like, come back. Like everyone come back to this hippie movement. Like I'm with you on this. Yeah. And you don't really see the, the left, I guess you anymore, like the working man's left, right? The, the labor movement, the unions, it seems like you still see that part. I, I, I still see well, that. I, I think I, I look back at what was going on with the real work. Oh, oh no, no. So, yeah. So the estab and uh, so let me kind of put that I feel, back. I feel like the the left is culturally culturally left is what I'm looking. So for. I think what it is to kind of put it in a different perspective. Uh, you've got your left and you got your right, and I'm talking about regular people. But now when you go up to our betters, our elitist group, you basically have an establishment left and establishment right, which is basically one giant freaking party. Right. They're the same the thing. Uniparty. The uniparty. If you look from Bush Sr. to Clinton to Bush W. to Obama, it's basically one giant administration. I would even argue the Reagan. You could. I would argue. You definitely could. Um, it's interesting how Reagan didn't like Bush a lot, though. So you kind of. So you kind of have some of that. There's a lot of things. Had a little bit of a populist. He he did have some. He had some populism too. You know, he is a Um, California Republican. So you had the. But Bill Clinton also had that. Oh, he did too. He did too. I mean, Bill Clinton was like a a, a revolution, right? He he was. Reagan was a revolution. Clinton was kind of like a revolution. 
but they all kind of knew where their bet, where their butter was like, you know, who, you know, right. you know, take care of the banks, you know, you got to take care of the banks, you know, let's make sure that we, you know, prop up these corporations um, and da, 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 da. It used to be that you had locally independent operated media until Reagan, right? And then it, then he allowed them to, I guess, coalesce into these mega media corporations. Okay. Um, I can't remember the act that he passed. Um, but now, you know, you look at it and, and say, take example, local news. How many companies does Nextstar up? How many local channels? Dude, they're all the same. Have you seen that uh, that thing on Twitter, that video goes around where it starts off, this person's like giving like a three-minute spill about democracy and misinformation and blah, blah, blah. And then they just keep adding other news stations to it, to the video. Yeah. And before the end of it, there's like 300 news stations and they're all spewing this exact same line. It feels like you're somewhere like in a, like a, what was that show called? Uh, Black Mirror. It's like we're in a Black Mirror episode. Right. And it is, it's corporatism, right? Like I get the issues with that. Like I'm very, Pro, like we need to break up some of this stuff. And that's why when I see like on Facebook, and people but then I don't go to the other side where it's you know jump in. We're going to seize the means of production. I'm like, no, you don't want to watch like those. No, you can't run the means. No, of there is no such thing. There's no such thing as that. That wouldn't work. It has. It won't. We're not work. talking about 1850 Germany. Yes. Or, or England over here. You yeah, know, that's not going to work. Uh. Oh, yeah. So you're asking me, I think this is all where it branched off of. Yeah, breaking the mold, getting out where of Where I started questioning <laughs> things, and it was the first Iraq war. And when I found out that Saddam Hussein, mm -hmm. shithead that he was, evil bastard that he is, his kids, everything, he's a Middle Eastern dictator. Yeah, he was. Called the American ambassador in and said, um, well, no, no, no. Okay, go, go back. Saudi Arabia was terrified of the Iranian revolution happening in Saudi Arabia. So they basically funded the Iran-Iraq war. They have funded the Iraqis. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So they funded the Iraqis. So when was um, the Iraq, the Iraq Iran war? When was like that? 1980 through 1989. Okay. Okay. At the end of it, when Iran withdrew from the border and they were defeated, I guess, so to speak, um, Kuwait, which was basically Saudi number two, right? Baby mm -hmm. Saudi, I guess. Um, Kuwait and Saudi Arabia started asking for their money back. And Saddam Hussein was like, we just bled. You know, his kind of rhetoric was, we just mm -hmm. bled and lost our rocky <clears throat> lives to protect your fucking areas. You know? Gotcha. Um, and so, were we propping him up at this point? Is this when we liked Saddam? We were propping both Oh god, yeah. Okay, yeah, that makes remember sense. Remember the Iran Contra affair? No, I see th that's one part <laughs> I I I haven't we, jumped into. We were selling weapons to Iran and then we were taking that money <sighs> and funding the the Sandinistas or whatever and, of course and Nicaragua we were. or the Contras in Nicaragua Jesus, of course to fight we were. the communist Sandinistas. Of course we were. Why because were we not? Because Congress wouldn't approve Reagan <sighs> wanting to spend money down there. Um and uh so Kuwait started slant drilling into Iraq, mm -hmm. <laughs> into their oil. And he's like, if you don't stop it. So is that what sparked the original invasion? Yeah. If you don't stop it, I'm going to invade your ass. Okay. So if Mexico did that to us, we right. would be 
Okay, first of all, we won't even wait for the drill heads to hit our land. Right. Like, them thinking about it, because we've been tapping their phones for, you know, whatever. We would have already started it, but... Yeah. So when I say that we're the world's terrorists, but he calls the he calls the American <laughs> ambassador to Iraq, okay. and he says, "What will America do if I invade Kuwait?" And she's like, "American policy is we do not get involved in inter-Arab wars." <laughs> Saudi Arabia, on the other hand, says, "Can you help us out? They have the world's fourth largest military." So what do we do? So Iran, Iran at this point had the fourth largest military in the world. Iraq, Iraq did. Okay, yeah. sorry. Um, and we would we would sell our weapons to both sides to see what they would do against one another. Gotcha. So I don't, I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole. I just want to say this just because it's such a cool statistic. Is <laughs> Iraq's population in the 1980s? Basically, that was the highest they had had population-wise. The only time they'd had it close to that was back when the Mongols had gone in and slaughtered everybody. It took them literally, what is it, 700, basically like 700 years to build back their population to 1980s level because they got completely demolished by this random group of hoarders who showed up and then disappeared because a con died. Right. Like, it's just, again, just... Yeah, yeah. So you know more about Mongol history than I do right just, now already, because it's, it's ridiculous. I like the Mongols. I've been... It's ridiculously complex. I've jumped me. into Mongols multiple times, back and forth. Um, Wrath of the Khans is definitely fantastic by yeah. Carlin. But I, but that was one of the ones where I've watched a whole bunch of, like, documentaries, and it's because it's so interesting. But anyway, I, anyway, not to digress from, from Iraq, but, but yeah, it's just, it's just fun, a funny side note, but... But that's why so, I began to question American involvement. Like, what are we doing over there? Oh, yeah, because, again, I was, like, Afghanistan and all these other places, like, again, I've always thought, oh, we're helping. And you know what? In some aspects, we are. So I'm not saying that we're not. I'm sure there's there's We are. You know, and what are guys, like, if you go listen to, like, you know, Jocko Willick and the things that the, his guys did, we did our – our troops did great things. They did positive things, but it's what our leaders have done. Right. And the corporations. And, and here's the thing. We spent all the this. Fact that those guys would go back in just to and we don't even interpreters and families. Oh my gosh, man. If you want to listen to a great podcast, um, go listen to Tim Kennedy. Talk about Logan. Uh, yes. Go yeah, listen, to, listen to that one. I actually listened to the one that he did with uh, Jocko. I'm pretty sure it was Jocko. If I'm wrong there, I'm wrong there. But I'm pretty sure I did listen. I listened to a couple with Kennedy. Kennedy did a couple. I thought he did one with Jocko too. If I if I'm wrong there, I'm wrong there. But but Kennedy talking about that about what our guys are doing. I mean, those guys are freaking heroes. And then now again, those are the people that like are getting thrown into like, oh, these are anti-Americans because they're telling us that we shouldn't be going to fight. I'm like, really? You want to tell me that guy's un-American? Right. Like, I mean, you're a I psychopath. I don't think you can call anybody un-American. Oh, but they do. Yeah. Do you know how many times I get called un-American? Dude, when the whole I, when the whole Russia thing came out and I started like – because, again, originally, I, I'm completely yeah, guilty. I, I put I changed my profile picture to that. To I was 100% guilty. 
I'm in the guilty category. I know you believe in the ghost of Kiev. <laughs> okay, that would have been awesome. That would have been so story. cool. It was such a good. If you've ever studied any, I Russian know propaganda, it's so bullcrap. Ukrainians and even the, the island cultural. So I thought the ghost of Kiev was probably fake. So I didn't get too much into that one. I thought the island thing was real. Because they had the recordings, oh, Russian warship. and they exactly they claimed they had like the names of the people, and I was like, okay, that one's legit. Of course, it turned out to be BS, right? But I was close to getting there, and the way my brain was kind of thinking about it was, okay, if if we're going to be fighting Putin anyway, let's do a no fly zone. But then again, luckily, you were probably one of the ones that kind of pulled me, you know, out of the pool. And was like, hey, dude, breathe for a second, you know, because you were one of the early ones who was like, dude, Ukraine is one of the most corrupt governments that's ever walked the planet or whatever it is you said, whatever it was. It wasn't wasn't just that. It was, um, you know, I grew up in the Cold War, hated Russia. And I guess my history, you know, I was telling you I was 25. Maybe it goes back a little bit further. And I had an eighth grade history teacher uh, who was a Baptist preacher, Dr. Kitchen. I was a punk skateboard. I'm just, you know what I'm telling you? I was a punk kid. I smoked in the bathroom. I, <laughs> I had weed connections in eighth grade, right? Like, you know, my hair was kind of long. God, you were such a typical Gen Xer, man. You smoke in your cigarette. Yeah, you know, holes in my jeans, you know. Uh, <sighs> but, but, you know, Dr. Kitchen and me, we had an understanding. He was an old Baptist preacher, very yeah. conservative, but, you know, he understood. He knew how to talk to me. And uh, I remember, like, the first day of class, he was like, can you tell me another country that's greater than America? And I was like, oh, Germany, because you can get a case of beer. But, like, you know, <laughs> some stupid eighth-grade answer, right? He challenged me every day, every day in that class. Today. See, that's awesome. When you when teachers were allowed to challenge you he would in fun ways. Why don't you read this? That's fantastic. Yeah. I don't know if they get the he's same. Like, I like, it would be like, I like your, rebe- he was old. He's like, I like your rebellious spirit because that's American. Yes. That's but awesome. How you need to refine it. And see, that's great. And that's awesome. And I, I have another guest coming on. Uh, she was actually my journalism teacher, my senior year, uh, Gen Xer, uh, you know, feminist, you know, liberal. I'm really excited to have, have her on to talk about, that piece of it, because in high school, I remember her challenging me on things and it was, but it was good. And I loved her for it. And I still love her for it. Now I, and I'm excited to talk to her about this because she's told me about now she can't talk to students that way. You can't because now you'll get punched in the face yeah, or, or you'll make someone's mommy mad and they'll go and da, 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 da. So I'm really, really excited to get her perspective on, and that's the one thing I want to focus on with her is kind of like the mental health and like the status of kids now and like just just the dynamic of how teachers get to interact with students. I was lucky enough and I was probably in the last generations of maybe possibly where I had a couple left teachers in high school, but it wasn't this you're evil. Right. We got to play and challenge each other. My history teacher at the time Again, this is Iraq, and, and I give him a lot of credit because he actually was against the Iraq war, and he was against the Bush administration, and he said these things, but I didn't listen, right? I was the uh, fart in America. I was yeah. that guy. But I'm glad I had that perspective now because I did start eventually start realizing, like, this is all BS. 
And again, it kind of just, it's just kind of been this revolving go. I mean, and then COVID, I mean, my gosh, if you want to talk about the pharmaceutical industry and all that kind of stuff, I mean, you want to talk about what really just broke me. That was it, man. Dude, I was so dude. It broke me. All of it broke me. When I was sitting here watching a, listening to a stupid uh, Supreme court decision on whether or not they're going to make those 88 million people have to get vaccinated or lose your job or you can't be hired anywhere. Yeah. You know, because you had, you could still have those. That was real because it would have touched your life. No, it did. I was a psychopath. I had to sit there and listen to like four hours of this crap because literally, luckily my company, and I I don't want to like tell company names and all that, but luckily my company and my boss already had my back. I was, I was going to be able to fill out my religious exemption form and I was going to be okay. But here's the thing. That's if I stay with this company. Basically, if I would have tried to apply it, had that become the rule and I had tried to apply out of anywhere else, dude, I couldn't have got a job. Who's going to hire a guy that says, hey, I want to work for you. But before I can work for you, you got to accept my exemption form. Yeah. Dude, I was horrified. So, And people were cheering it. People who in my life had been things that I thought were traditional left views. Like you have the right what goes in your body. You have the right to what you believe. You have the right to say what you want to say. When all that just got thrown out the window, again, it made me question not only not only did it make see like the hypocrisy of of the left, right? But it made me realize the hypocrisy on the right. Because now that the right is bitching about all this stuff and griping about, oh, corporatism and all that, where the heck were these same people? Back in the 90s and the 80s and the 70s, where were these same Republicans griping at Johnson & Johnson where they're putting asbestos in baby powder? Right. Where were those folks? It's like it's this stupid ping pong, and I'm trying to figure out like why people haven't caught the ball and go, hey, um, you know, if it's wrong now, it was wrong then. And that's what's really opened my eyes to all of it. Yeah. You know, the our intelligence agency, and I'm not saying we need to go and like – burn the FBI down or anything like that because no, the FBI does a lot of great things that we do need them for. Cause there is a lot of like child porn. That, that's the easiest one because it's internet based. And it'd be impo- everybody can come together. A lot. It would be impossible. God, I would, you would hope so, but clearly not anymore. Um, well, and I think that's that whole, like, and I think part of that comes from like that whole QAnon bullshit <sighs> where it was like, Oh, the Democrats are, you know, I don't even, so children. here's the thing. I have never met. A single person. Oh, let me rephrase. I know one person. I know one person who is. A, I know a couple. <laughs> that I would say to QAnon. I know, but the way that they try to conflate it and say that everyone was a QAnon. You know how many times I've been thrown, oh, you're a QAnon conspiracy. I'm like, bro, I'm just bro. talking about like, you know, like here's clear data that like this thing is bad. Like, right. like why is this controversial? Like this shouldn't be controversial. Like, how in the world are people on the left not freaking out when a pharmaceutical company says we're not going to give you safety data for 75 years? You and I talk a lot about like the vaccine. Oh yeah. I'll give you an example of that. And I was like, you like, I've had COVID and you and I both read the same studies. It's like natural immunity seems to work better. When I got the vaccine, Mm -hmm. I hadn't had it yet. I was like, I'm probably pressing my luck. See, I would have told you to get it back then. I would have told you to go like when my parents got vaccinated, I was happy. I was yeah. so thankful that my parents were able to get back. Now I wish they hadn't of, but at the time I was very, very thankful that so, was available. I was thankful that my sister was able to do it because she has 
different health issues right. that made her immune compromised. So at the time, I was excited. And I could even say that. I would even tell people, like, I'm glad this group of people can go get protection, yeah. but I don't need it because there's natural meat. Well, you're an idiot. Natural meat only lasts for 90 days. Okay, my gosh. What part of human civilization has that ever happened? Where we're like a disease comes in and we just never develop it. If that if there was ever a disease that humans never developed immunity for, me and you would not be talking. Right. We would have died mm-hmm. years ago. But what drove me nuts was when I finally got because I was originally going to get vaccinated. I just because why would you not? I've been vaccinated for everything else. Why would you not get vaccinated? Yeah. Like uh, the pharmaceutical companies, there's it's because I still believe that the FDA was the FDA. I believed that. I thought that they still were meant to protect you. I thought, well, they can't do this without mm-hmm. clinical trials. I believed you all that believe stuff. That the, the, the residing members of the FDA probably had investments. In, uh, of course. <laughs> again, again, you talk about what kind of broke. And not only that, but I'm sure they took them on a junket somewhere, realized to France or somewhere, and were like, hey, man, you know, hook us up. Yeah. Okay. Hook us up on a uh, hook us up on approval for this. You know, if anyone's asking, we're drinking Miller, not Bud Light. <laughs> yeah, just make sure, right? Somebody, the one person who listens will probably hear that and get really upset. <laughs> the one, uh, what's but, funny about Bud Light is you know, I've been protesting Bud Light for, for decades. Well, yeah, it tastes terrible and it gives me a headache. I don't mind drinking light beer. It's not my favorite, obviously. But if I'm going to drink a lot. I love Miller, though. I but like Miller Light's got a different. It does. It's got a, it's got that Pilsner taste. and uh, It's not a heavy Pilsner. Light it is a light pilsner, but uh, but yeah, man, that whole thing just. <sighs> what what made me upsetting is I remember when it started happening. Like, so again, I was really going to get vaccinated because again, I was just going to. I I got to work. I got you know whatever. Then I got COVID. I got COVID in February, and it was thank goodness I was listening to the conspiracy theorist Joe Rogan because he was the one who was talking about vitamin D. So I started taking vitamin D right away, like. I started taking vitamin D like in April. Whenever Joe Rogan, the right wing crazy, yeah, the right wing radical who you know was a Advocate Bernie bro, for, yeah, Jeez, socialist, what? you know, socialistic yeah, all, medical care, all that, all that BS. But uh, but yeah, um, so I, I was on vitamin D. Man, I was so healthy during COVID. Man, I I I got down to like two oh three. Then had some injuries. I, I'm back down to I'm two thirty right now, so I still got a lot of lot of weight to go. I gotta get down to. You're a big dude, man. I mean, you know, you got. I hold it fairly well. Yeah. I, I hold it fairly well for whatever reason. Um, but what? But I still got it. I gotta get down to one eighty five. So I want to start competing in jujitsu. Uh, I want to do some competitions again. So I, I've I've done three tournaments at two twenty, and they're not my two twenty. These guys are like six three six pack. And yeah. I just get, I mean, Six, three, so I would much rather be the skinnier 185 yeah. against regular humans, but, uh, I digress. Um, but man, it just, so I, I'd gotten, I'd, I, again, I was in good shape. I was on vitamin D when I got COVID, I was literally sick for about four hours. I remember I was in Oklahoma. I came home. It was about five o'clock. I started feeling kind of weird. I was running like a little you fever. Yeah. I remember. And then, and here's the thing. I even, did the whole the whole quarantine thing yep. in February. <laughs> so I'm not a psych, so I'm not like this anti-whatever. I was literally in my bedroom for 10 days away from my family. My son would come and put Legos under the door saying, Daddy, will you play Legos with me? Yeah. 
Like, dude, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. Trying to explain to my son why I couldn't go see him for 10 days. And I can tell you that 10 days, I almost lost my mind. I worked. I, I was still working because I physically was fine. I, I Luckily, I was able to come in here and work out in, my, in the garage. I was able to go run every day. I was able to at least get out in the world. But I, I was so af- – I didn't want to get around my family. So, like, I would wear a mask when I would, like, tell, like, wave to my kid goodnight and all that. Dude, I was literally sick for four hours. I was sick that the Wednesday I came home. I was sick that night, a little sick. The next day, I kind of felt crummy. Cause I did the old school. I threw on like, you know, I had like socks on and like, I wore like a shirt to bed and, you know, I threw two blankets on. I sweated the thing out and that was it. Now the long COVID, I did have the long COVID stuff. My lungs got a little messed up. Um, so again, I wasn't, a, am not a, a whatever over here. Like I, I was following the rules. Right. Right. But then the studies were coming out at this point from like Sweden and other places saying, dude, we've been checking immunity. Like, it's been it's robust and we're 11 months away or 10 months away from the original when it was happening. Now we know it was actually happening back in like November yeah. of like 19. But anyway, I digress again. So like once that data was pretty established, like, hey, you've got it. Once you've had it, your chance of getting it again is like point whatever percent. And you's like you're not going to die from it. Like you're fine at that point. And then like people were telling me like. How dare you not go get vaccinated? I'm like, why would I get vaccinated at that point? And then you started at that point. That's when you started hearing again. We didn't know anything about the myocarditis and all that kind of stuff. I just didn't want to get vaccinated because at that point I had started starting to realize that there had been no trials on any of this stuff. Really? Right. Not, not that there needed to be like the trials weren't right. The sap, the safety data wasn't there. What really freaked me out is the fact I couldn't go to my doctor to get it, I had to go to Walmart Walgreens. or or a, or a COVID place that was doing it. And I finally found out the reason why you couldn't go to your primary care physician at the time is because since there's no safety data, it you, you lost your right to what is that? Um, you have the right to the information. Yeah. yeah. What what is that called? HIPAA. Not not HIPAA. It's um oh whatever it is where you you have the right to know whatever it is you're taking and the side effects. Well, they couldn't give that. So the primary care physicians couldn't give out the shots because they couldn't give you the information. And that's what really started pipping red flags. Cause there, again, I was going to go get vaccinated, but when I realized I couldn't go get it from a doctor, it was like, why can't I go to a doctor? Why can't I go to my doctor? It's kind of weird. And it just, again, it kept snowballing from there. And then man, the people, again, I got some weird, like it was weird. Like the fact that like people were kind of weird. The fact that like I didn't go get vaccinated. So it was weird. I got mine. And the reason I got mine was, um, Whitney was kind of like concerned. I don't want to go back to school. Or, oh yeah. I don't want him to get COVID. Uh, you know, and, uh, I was like, well, I'll go get the vaccine first. Mm-hmm. So I got it in August. No side effects. Nothing. Didn't get sick. Whitney actually got sick when she got hers. And then we got Jonathan vaccinated for the, the first one mm-hmm. is that as much as he got. Uh, yeah, I believe so. I, can't okay. I don't think we get him vaccinated a second time. Well, then I went back in October and got the second dose, right? Mm-hmm. Because it was time for Jonathan to get his second dose. What did he get her second dose? Mm-hmm. I think Whitney got it. Um, and I think that's where my trouble started. Now I'm not saying anything. It's not like I was the healthiest person. I was smoking, you know, packing a half a cigarettes a day. 
was being lazy, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it didn't help it. It didn't help it. I think it exacerbated it. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think, I think I, I had some other issues that were going on that, uh, obviously, you know, we talk about, you know, COVID was impacting people with bad health. Like, shit, I got to remember, dude, I'm not 25 anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, that never hit me. Um, that was real, man. People were dying for sure. Yeah. But they were all people who were extremely overweight. When the median age, I, I was about 20 pounds overweight. Yeah. But you weren't. I carried it well. So everybody said, yeah, oh, but man, you carried Yeah, but you weren't. You know, well, but the folks yeah. who were dying. But here's the big thing, though, man. That vitamin D thing was huge. Yeah. Like, I think I think in 2020, the numbers were something like 85% of the people who died were all vitamin D deficient. Now, again, correlation doesn't equal causation and all that. Right. So maybe everyone in America is probably vitamin so, D deficient. I don't know if I got it or not back in October. Yeah. But what happened was uh, I got sick. First, the kids came home with it sick, mm-hmm. right? Um, Those little freaking John, yeah, John germ monsters. monsters. He came home sick. He got over it a day, right? He's like, oh, I feel bad. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, no, they're just running up playing video games since I could stay home for 10 days. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Carter, I think Carter got sick right after that. Then Carter, that he had it like you, like an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And he was fine. Like, he's like, I don't feel good. And then two hours later, wakes from a nap. He's like, yeah. So then Whitney got it. My mom got it. I got it. Okay. And then, of course, me, I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> Whitney's like, something's wrong. You should be over the shit. You need to go to the doctor. And I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> but I don't know if that I had COVID or not. I didn't, I didn't test. Um, but I went for like six weeks coughing like that until I just literally woke up in the middle of the night one night. It was like, <gasps> Like, that was as much as I could get in. I was like, Whitney, I think I'm fucking dying. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And she's like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> he was freaking out. She's like, you want me to call an ambulance? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, just for a second. All right, and we're back. So, you're having a heart attack in your house. What a heart attack. I know. Go, go uh, ahead. Now, the way the doctor described it was um, when you have heart failure, mm-hmm. it's different than a heart attack, right? It can lead to a heart attack. Gotcha. Heart failure is your heart's failed to do what it normally does. And what had been happening. And the heart attack is when it like physically stops for. Physically stops gotcha. or alters beats or gets erratic or, you know, freaks out. Um, what had been happening was um, I'd had some kind of pneumonia is mm-hmm. what they could figure out. But whenever they tested me for an organism that would cause pneumonia, I was negative. Um, and I had myo, I can't remember. Myocarditis. Myocarditis, but a swollen heart, right? Inflammation of the heart. Inflammation of the heart. So what happens when your heart inflames is your heart's a muscle where your normal muscles will heal. The heart never goes back to the way it was. So funny thing about the heart, since you mentioned that, um, Weinstein talks about this on one of the podcasts about the heart and why it's, it's so, it's one thing. So the heart can't get cancer. Generally speaking, it doesn't get cancer because the heart can't heal. And so that's what cancer needs or those type of cells or whatever. But the heart basically just scars. Scars. That's all it does. So all this info. So that's what that myocarditis stuff does. It just scars your heart. And then when you go to exert yourself, that's when it's like. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I'll let the doctors actually like tell me how this works. But for my stupid. You know, bro science. Understanding of yes, this uh, is my understanding. This is my magic school bus explanation of myocarditis. The the doctors, you know, they they 
they were kind of freaked out by the whole thing. It's like, what is this 48-year-old guy? He's not – I mean, I know he smokes and he – Yeah, but you weren't ready for a heart he's attack. Not ready for a major heart situation. And the way the, the one Indian doctor – I had the greatest Indian doctor's name was Dr. Ouija Wardera. What a wonderful name. Yeah. And so everybody was like, we just call him Dr. Ouija. Um, <laughs> but the way he was explaining it to me was um, he said uh, – this is like trying to blow up a balloon. Uh, why I sound Russian? I don't know. So I won't even try the accent. <laughs> but he was like, it's like trying to blow up a balloon in 10 feet of water. He's like, that's what your heart was doing. He's like, there's so much fluid Oof. in your chest that uh, your heart normally helps pump that out. But there's so much fluid in your lungs that the heart was just like, you know what? Fuck this. <clears throat> I ain't doing it anymore. I'm tired. I'm swollen. I'm tired. You know. Um, so that's where the problem comes from though. Like if you look at the data, it's not the first shot. It's the second it's shot. The second shot. It's always the second. Yeah. That's like almost, it's just, yeah, there's something there. Um, I know one thing that just came out, a study, uh, Dr. Peter McCollum put this out that not all vaccines are created equal in this. There are certain lots. And so anyone who's, who doesn't understand what a lot is, uh, you know, I'm in the supply chain of my job. A lot is basically if you run, you know, a thousand, units in this lot however you break that down well they started doing studies on it there are certain lots that either a have a lot more of the spike protein or the mrna or whatever and then you've got some of them that basically don't have hardly any at all yeah it's so the whoever the manufacturing is so inconsistent so there may not even be a problem with the vaccine per se Maybe the problem is with some of these lots where it's just so overloaded overloaded that's what's causing the problem um, but the problem is during that whole thing is people, doctors could not even have that conversation. They couldn't even talk about this on social media or go, heaven forbid, any of the, any of the multi, any, none of the national medias, Fox News, CNN, none of them would allow those type of people to talk. So exactly. And so a little bit about my health journey. Um, so I go through this, I'm invaded yes. for a week, I get out. Um, I'm fucking puny at this point, right? Like, you know, I've just been in a coma for a week where they had to pump fluid out of my lungs and, and I get the severe pain, blah, 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 whenever I breathe in and out because fluid's drained into my chest in an area that it shouldn't drain into by the lungs. And so the lungs can't expand and it, it causes pain. Dying is going to suck. I don't hear anybody says, like, you're going to sleep. It's going to fucking suck. I already tell you. Um, Hold on. I'm going to pause it real quick. Everyone who's listening, there is like a domestic dispute happening outside my house. All right. And we're back. Sorry. There was a man screaming <laughs> at somebody outside of my window. All right. So, sorry. But like I said, yeah. um, you know, and I, I talked to a cardiologist and I had several doctors in the hospital, blah, 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 uh, yada, yada, yada. And um, so come to find out, uh, I've got high blood pressure, some other stuff going on and I'm old. I've never you know, <laughs> <You're> old. <laughs> I've never taken care of myself the way I should. Smoke, blah blah blah. And uh, my wife had actually brought it up, and I'm like, "Do you have any other symptoms leading up to this?" And I was like, "No, I felt fine." Except uh, my wife was like, "Well, tell me about your leg." And I was like, "My leg." <laughs> and she was like, "It's just like, yeah, you know, the one that always cramps up." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I've got like a torn calf muscle or something." How long had that been happening? 
for like four years. Okay, so that thing's been a, a constant issue. Yeah, yeah. And come to find out, I had a peripheral arterial disease. I had like an 85% blockage in a part of my leg, and the cramp wasn't a pulled calf. It was lack of blood flow. Um, See, that's where it could just compound. Like the, like the calf could have been the issue, could be a major part of the issue, right? Right. But then, again, I'm a crazy person. Have you watched the Died Suddenly documentary yet? No. Yeah. Okay. It's on Rumble. Go watch it. It'll freak you out about. It's about all these young kids, athletes. It's that, but it's these fibrous tissues that morticians and other people are finding inside of people. Yeah. And it's really hard to say this is fake. Like when you're watching the video, unless like they're literally making tons of fake videos. I don't, I don't know if they're going that elaborate. So I think the documentary is probably fairly accurate, but, uh, so, you know, it kind of goes back into it. Like, had you been 100% healthy, maybe you would not have had an issue. But since you did have that, you took this vaccine and now yeah, you're getting yeah, clogged up, right? Yeah, everything's getting clogged up. So so it's like, you know, what what's the problem? Well, the problem's everything, right? But had you not been vaccinated, you may have not had the – now, you may have died 10 years later when that leg eventually got 100% clotted, right? Right. Well, or I would have lost feeling of the leg. It, exactly. And, yeah. So it's this – this weird thing. But, but it's funny yeah. how, um, and I would only get it like when I was like mowing the lawn and going uphill, right? And then if I rest for a few minutes, it would go away. And so Whitney. When the, so it's probably when your blood pressure was up. Yeah, yeah. Whitney told the doctor about it. The doctor went, oh. You know, one of my doctors. I had like mm-hmm. six in the hospital. They were all coming in and looking at me. And, and uh, he was like, I'm going to have you tested for blah, blah, blah. And sure enough, I had a blockage in my leg. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so they're gonna like, we're going to refer you to a specialist. Um, and he was a vascular surgeon. Um, he literally is the kind of dude that goes in and does stents and stuff like that. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, your leg. And uh, so we're just talking in our conversation. He goes, I'm not going to say it's a vaccine. <laughs> but I'm not saying it ain't the vaccine. So he was. He, so he had some nuance to him. He at least yeah. allowed the idea that hey, maybe this thing ain't a hundred percent. He was like, you know, you had some other stuff going on, like health pressure, you know. But he's like, and then what the doctor said, you had a lot of little things going on, and you weren't taking care of any of them. If you'd been taking care of one or two of them, like your high blood pressure or blah blah blah, you'd been fine probably. He's like, yeah, you probably would have been fine. He's like, what happened was your heart just was like, fuck it, I'm not going to work anymore, and so. Your lungs, where you normally pumps that fluid out of your lungs, it quit pumping the fluid out of your yeah. lungs. So that's why you got short of breath and you go, <gasps> you know, you can't. That's because the way he said it, it was like, you know, I wonder what makes a man come into a hospital and say, <laughs> tell a 48 year old, fairly healthy man, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. He's like, I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> Dude, that doctor sounds awesome. He, he was. And he explained it to me in a way that I can understand, you know. I would love eventually to have someone like that on and just let them just talk for a couple hours. Yeah. You know, someone who has like real knowledge. Again, I've got bro knowledge, right? Like, and that's where I'm at. You know, I'm just, you know, I look at certain doctors and certain guys. Basically, what I try to do when I look at a journalist or a doctor or whatever is like, are they principled? Are they at least principled in what they're saying? Like, if this goes that way, they're, they they say the same thing. If it goes that way, they say the same thing. Like, I try to look for those type of individuals because those type of individuals, they're at least mostly trustworthy, right? Yeah. Like people who will stand against, you know, you know, you know, pick, pick your topic or whatever. So, I've tried to be more that way about certain things. 
Um, like I was really, really against when they like this expelled, like they expelled those, uh, like those Tennessee reps for the whole, I don't know if you, the insurgency, you know, immediately I was like, that's stupid, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's just dumb. And people were like, you know, were like, oh, how dare you there? And that's an insurgency. I was like, no, 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 no. If I'm going to be consistent that January 6th was not an insurgency, then I'm going to be very, 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 very consistent that Tennessee was not an insurgency. That's the stupidest. Dude, when the whole, when all these idiots on the right were doing that whole, oh, they need to be expelled out of their office. I'm like, wait, I thought y'all were the pro like democracy free and speech. free speech. Like what okay. happened again, you want to talk about, so that I've tried to be more. So this is what's funny. The more principled I try to be about things, I've lost more friends. You should never lose friends over your principles, right? I guess they weren't really, I don't know. I and, I, it and I try to be, they weren't really your friends to begin with. I, I know. Ago. Maybe That's so, something. but it's just weird. Well, you and I disagree on shit all the time. I know, and usually I come to your side because you're the smarter of the two of us, no, and you make better I, arguments. No, maybe I make better arguments. It depends. I think, the only, I think the only thing we would argue about is like the student loan thing, but the funny part is we actually agree more on it than than, than we don't agree on right. it. It's just... I, I think we agree that the root cause has been the influx of available money into the university the, system and that's that the, has allowed them exactly. to if we would if we would fix if we would fix that I'd be 100% on board erasing debt. Yeah. But until that's not fixed, it's just gonna, there's it's no reason to waste debt yeah. because it's just going to See that's where we agree. We and, can do a, and it makes me but it's like so when they're like oh we're going to erase debt. I was like no. Because you're not fixing anything. You're just going right. to make inflation higher. You're not helping it. You, yes, you're helping those 10 million individuals. And I do want I want to see those people I, help. I'm one of those individuals. I, <laughs> and I get that. And I'm fine with it. But if you want me to support it, okay, fix the problem. And then I don't care. Like, erase all of it. Like, that's fine. But you're not even fixing the problem. So if you're not even going to fix the problem, it's like I'm, on, like I'm automatically almost out of it. Like, I'm just like, you know what? This is ridiculous. But – but yeah, man, the the COVID thing again, it really kind of brought me into like again kind of breaking my mold. Cuz again, I thought the FDA was good. I thought they protected yeah, us. And, and I thought the some degree I didn't And then that, that turned into like, you know, our food. I was like, "Oh, they're not going to let us eat food that's poison." Bull. Yeah. Um, another really good documentary. It's called um, oh my gosh, I just went blank on it. Uh, pretty Goodness gracious. I'll I'll have to I'll have to look it up and find it. But basically it's about like all the stuff they put in makeup and, and all this. Stuff. It's on HBO. Um, and that talk, they talk about the Johnson and Johnson thing with his bestest right. and, and all that. So again, it just kind of goes back that again, corporations and the government are basically all in bed. And this is where also, I guess being a student of history, this is where I also put things in perspective. Yeah. We may be dying of heart attacks and heart failure and, and all these circulatory issues caused by obesity, but you know what we don't die of anymore? But staying in the middle of a field and some guy put cold steel in my chest? Fucking starvation. Oh, Not yet. Not yet. We're going to see it. I don't know. I think America can support it. American will be fine. America yeah. will be fine. We still have enough farmland. I won't go on my tangent about Bill Gates. <laughs> yeah, and so this is where you know a little bit more about agriculture. So, dude, I'm an idiot. 
on that stuff. I'm really excited. I really want to have another individual on. He works for the Cowman Association. I really want to get him on yeah. um, to talk about kind of that stuff. But, you know, we're an exporter of food here in America. So that's, that's fantastic, right? Like Arkansas, we've got rice, soybean. We actually grow quite a few uh, peanuts, like, during off years and stuff like that. I think Jimmy Carter was a Georgia peanut. He man. was. He was a peanut man. <laughs> I, Jimmy was a good man. He may have been the last president who he was, was an actual good man. President. Horrible president. Great fucking guy. He may be the last president that was actually a genuinely good person. Maybe Reagan. Reagan may have been a good dude, but he did some really bad stuff. I don't know. He was kind of slightly evil. He was. He may but, have been but, evil. You know, that's why But I wonder how much of it. I wonder how much of that was Bush. Mr. CIA play because you want to talk about an active vice president besides Dick Cheney. I mean, George H has to be really, I mean, okay, seriously, who really ran the Bush W administration? It was Cheney. It was Cheney. Like, and W may be a decent, he may be a nice guy, but he's, you can have W right here with us right now. And I think we would have a good time. Oh, as a dude, I think we'd have wonderful time. I think time. you could do that with Obama. Obama, I thought Obama was a. I so I had a lot of faith. The, the conversation would be a little bit more intellectual. Yeah. Well, he's smarter than me by far. By far, yeah. Yeah. And I think you could do that with Obama. And what I makes me upset could, about Obama? I guess I'll talk about this since we're we mentioned Obama. I actually wasn't against Obama like when he first ran. Like I, I voted against them, right? Like I voted McCain and all, and all that stuff. I, I voted for him the first time. You know, I, again, I was in my Republican yeah, love yeah. stage back. When was this? 2000, 2008. So again, I was like, what, 21 years old, you know? So I was like Mr. Republican. Um, but I wasn't like against him. Like I wasn't voting against him. Right. I was voting for McCain, but I wasn't voting against Obama. I was kind of like, because I remember after the 2004, he had given that speech after the election, and I was like, "Huh?" I was like, "I was like, that yeah. seems like a legit." This guy. I was like, "Seems like a legit dude." You know, he wanted to do change, and da 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 da. And I was like, "It kind of spoke to me." But again, I was just if if you put 35 year old me in 2008, I probably vote for Obama. Yeah, right. I, I would. I, I'll tell you right now, if if they were running, I'd vote for Obama today in 2008. Now, 2012. Actually, 2000. It's it's his last four years was just awful. Oh, terrible! Awful. We're giving guns to Mexico. We're basically taking the Patriot Act and, and putting and putting that, steroids in it. The way he handled the housing crisis. So the banks <sighs> took all these fucking risks, right? And then they raised rates on people, uh, exasperating the risk ratio. And then what did he do? He did what Bush did. I know. I know. And that gave him more money. And that's they allowed him to buy stock back. And that's what it's makes me so dollars. upset. That's, that's what like makes me annoyed when I go back and I'm like, oh my gosh, Operation Fast and Furious. I'm like, bro, they it's like you guys give a shit about. I was like, more like, <sighs> why is he? He was supposed to be the guy in the financial crisis that. And you know, originally he probably was going to, but then they were probably like, we're probably going to murder your wife and kids. Yeah, it's probably what they told the guy. And oh. Right. Or, or it may not even that. It may be like, hey, you want to be insanely rich and become a millionaire and live in Martha's Vineyard? Just play ball. Yeah, and, play you know, ball. they always say, you know, you know, ultimate power, you know, corrupts, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So, and that's what scares me, man. It's like, I don't know how we fixed any of that. 
Now that I've like broken it, Hillary Clinton, Secretary of State. I was like, <sighs> just get the fucking Clinton's gone. Yeah. What does she got to do with anything? Yeah. Come, come a little bit closer. I just want to make sure we're not. No, I just want to make sure you're not missing any. Yeah. No, no, no. You're good, but it's just. Why did you figure it out? I hope Whitney doesn't listen. <laughs> She's going to stab you. Um, you but joke, yeah. You joke about that. <laughs> no. I, 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 if I ever find out that you're like, you're killed, I, I'm going to automatically assume that your wife probably did it and it was probably semi justified. <laughs> Like if it happens, like I'm not gonna immediately be like. First of all, I'm gonna be like the cop asked me, like, "Do you think she killed him?" Well, yeah. And I'm probably like, "Well, hold on, before you arrest her, let's find out why." <laughs> like, there's probably a decent reason. So, so I'll, I'll tell the story because Whitney probably doesn't listen to this, but just in case anybody's, this is hilarious. So her best, one of her best friends that she's grown up with was uh, Asian. Similar story. She was adopted when mm-hmm. she was young from Korea, and uh, so today I, I do you know, like Chick-fil-A breakfast for a meeting for the people who do the Sam's clubs and we do their Friday morning meeting mm-hmm. and everything with them. And, uh, I was in Chick-fil-A and I was like, this, this Asian, this real pretty Asian girl kept glancing at me. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's, I got to think. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. So I'm looking back at her. She's like, she would look back and she would look back and, you know, and then, uh, I was like, Oh shit. That's Natalie. <laughs> 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 One of Whitney's best friends. Look at you. Don't be name dropping, folks. Yeah. And uh, she, I was like, I heard I was like, but I'm not sure. And I don't think she was sure because I hadn't seen her in years. Yeah. She, you know, I was going to wait for him to call her name at Chick-fil-A. And they were like, Natalie. And I was like, Natalie. She's like, Eric, I thought that was you. I was like. So your ego went up and then it went right, right back down. down. Well, I would never be with Whitney if Natalie had never given her seal of approval. You know, the stamp. There you go. Yeah. How long have y'all been married now? Oh, let's see. Johnson's 14, so 13 years. Nice. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> nice. I love the math that you just did there. So, um, yeah. We've um, been together for a while. How are you getting recorded? Dude, we're going to have to be hit 15 years. 15 years. We're getting, uh, we're getting there. We're getting, you know. I've never known one without the other. I, I, I Oh yeah, that's how most people are. I'm almost to the point where it's going to be fairly soon. Where my age, I have known her longer than I've not known her. Yeah, so that's going to get weird. Um, me, I joke around that with my best friend as well. We've been best friends since sixth grade. It's like it's funny that I've like my whole like I've known these individuals like way longer than I didn't know them. Yeah, but, it's funny, man. Uh, I never would have thought. You know, one of my reluctances to get married was you know I go by the statistics, right? So. Fifty percent of all marriages in America fail. I'm, I can't believe we made it this long. I don't know what's. I've, I got to throw it back to my parents, man. So one of the reasons why me and Courtney got married so so quick because we were only four, we were again we only dated like seven months is we were getting to the point where we wanted to live together, and I just had this. It was one of those. Mo, it was just one of those like fa- like you know. Feet in the sand, like like I'm just like not crossing this line. Like if I live with anybody, I'm gonna be married to him. And so like I kind of threw that out there, thinking like, okay, this will squash that, right? And then like she kind of threw back the same thing. All right, I guess we're gonna get married. And I was like, oh, I, all right, I guess here we go. <laughs> so yeah. then you know I think I proposed like like a month after that or whatever. And then we got mar- we got engaged. Gosh, she's gonna punch me in the head. I think we got engaged in like November, and we were like married in February. Me and Whitney were kind of, um, it was a little bit different for us. <clears throat> it's going back to the Gen X thing, right? We're like, we were Gen Xers. 
or Gen X, Whitney's borderline Gen X, or she's she's like forty two, so she was born in eighty one. You know, I got a seven year difference, and she'll be like, "Oh, you're robbing the cradle." I'm like, "No, you're robbing the grave." <laughs> so um, it was like we we had Jonathan, you know, and and uh, we still weren't married. Bastard kid, he how is. dare you living in sin? Living in sin, completely living in sin, and um, and uh, she's like, "Are you ever going to marry me?" And I was like, "Yeah." She's like, "Let's do it right now." <laughs> and I was like, "I love that she just took control and just said, hey, this is happening.'" Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "I'll do it right now." And how old like, were you when you got married? Then, oh god, like thirty five or some shit. Yeah. See, you were much. Yeah. See, and I was on the opposite spectrum. Yeah, I was that. Uh, I was a kid, man. Uh, you know, we talk about it all the time. Like, you know. But you grow up together. Marriage, that's, that's exactly what it is. That's why I tell folks, like, I think it's good to get married young. You know, when you find someone who's committed to it, you got to find that, right? Again, there's a lot of dichotomies there. You know, there's a lot, a lot of stuff there. But the great thing about growing up together is how much more you actually understand what, like, love is and all that. Because, like, I love I loved my wife when we got married when we were 2021 20, or at least what I thought love was, right? Okay. 15 years later, two kids later, love is extremely different with what it means, but it's so much more meaningful. So, you know, anyone out there like I would, I would encourage like it's going to be fun talking to my to lo- like to my son about this, right? It's going to be fun trying to explain to him you know, what my views are now when it comes to family and kids. Cause honestly, yeah, if I could, I, I definitely wouldn't go back in time and change anything. Cause I don't want to lose the kids I have now. But if anyone asked me like, Hey, should you have kids younger? Should you get married young, man? If you find a person who's as committed as you are, I would say, yeah, I think it's best if you're able to go that route. So, if again, there's if a lot of ifs. Able to go there, right? yeah, there's, if, a lot of there's a lot if of ifs. Talking about interpersonal relationships. Oh, exactly. I, I think you gotta find someone who's as stubborn as you are. Whitney's and I's story is a little bit different. It's unorthodox, but mm-hmm. you know, my my joke to her is it's our story. Yeah, it's our story. Nobody else shares this story. You and I share this unique story, and um, we we were going through manager training together. It's singular. That's how long ago that oh, was. Gosh, yeah. Back in the yeah. great days where everything worked yeah, perfectly. She was dating somebody. I was dating somebody. And uh, anything. One thing led to another. And I remember, you know how Whitney is, right? She looks like a stone cold assassin. No, she is. <laughs> I assume that she probably murders people in her spare time. Um, but but deep underneath, she's not like that. She's like really sleep, timid. Yeah, I'll like, never get there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know. I'm never going to get to that point for so, personality. She's, she's a beautiful girl. She's a beautiful girl. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, I remember her sitting, um, we had to sit next to each other in manager training. And I was like, oh, God, you sit next to this fucking cold hearted Asian. <laughs> like, that's what was going through my mind. And then I come from tech support. You have to understand tech support in the call center was like a, uh, it was a fraternity, right? It was literally a bunch of dudes. Maybe a couple chicks, but the chicks fit in with the dudes really well. It was dick jokes and fucking, <laughs> you know, it was like, we were like the jet fighter pilots of the fucking call center. It's singular back in the day, right? It was, it was like, uh, you know, we make jokes and cracked up all the time. Our boss, Ian, was the fucking ringleader. He was from England out of all places. 
and uh, he he encouraged it, right? So so that was terrible. But anyway, uh, so I thought she's setting up her desk, and I just grab my fucking binder and I'm like, <laughs> throw it on there, and they're like, "You're gonna work on this project, blah blah blah." And I'm like, "Cool, yeah, whatever." And um, uh, Whitney, like, she, I can see where she sets all her shit. It's perfect, organized. I throw a piece of paper on the floor and say, hey, you are going to have to learn to leave that fucking piece of paper there because it doesn't matter from what we're trying to accomplish. And it just fucking threw her for a loop. And then from there, I was What's like, y'all's age difference again? Seven years. Okay. And I was like, you've got to learn to have fun. So how old were you at this point? Oh, like God, 34, 32. 32. Yeah. So she would have been like 25. Yeah, 25. Yeah, that's seven years at that point makes a big difference. Yeah, and um, I mean, it was, it was supposed to be like a you know one-night stand kind of thing. It's supposed to have fun. And we did that. And I don't know, we just kept talking and, you know, it kind of developed. And there we were. And next thing I know, you know, I was – I had moved to Hot Springs and took the manager – position in hot spring or assistant. Mm-hmm. I'd gone into sales and took the, uh, and then gone into the assistant manager position at hot springs and, uh, then took the manager position like in 2008. I'll never forget it. Cause the voice was my boss. God bless Lois. I love her. She was awesome. Yeah. She was awesome because you didn't work for her. <laughs> exactly. No, she was awesome. Cause I didn't work, but, but, I didn't uh, work for some of these folks. And, um, sure enough, I'll never forget. I had a down payment worked on it. I had the down payment worked out under Chris Kraft. I had the financing worked out. I was going to be that guy. Like, Cody, you would have been like, let's go down to Hot Springs and party with Eric on his boat. Like, that was my dream in life. <laughs> and that's where I was going to be. And uh, Whitney called me. God, you're such a Gen Xer. Yeah. Yeah, right? And then Whitney was like, uh, what he was going to be, uh, what he was like, called me crying. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm praying. I was like, well, I hope you and the dad are happy. Oh gosh! Such Look, a I jerk. was that guy. Such and a jerk. Such a jerk. Like I did not want kids. Right? It was going to strap me down. Yeah, we weren't going to have kids either, man. Um, you know, I can't wait to tell Logan this one day. But yeah, he was our. Uh, yeah, he was a. He had a point one percent chance of happening. And yeah. uh, that little dude showed up and uh, and changed our world. And Jonathan. now, yeah, it was a uh, best thing by far. The best thing that's ever happened. I, I told Jonathan, and seriously, I was like, uh. I was like, dude, never think for an instance that if we ever divorce or separate or anything that has anything to do with you, if anything, that made me and your mom learn to work together. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Our love of you, our our love of each other, because I thought Whitney was going to leave. I was like, she wants to get married and have kids and I don't want any of this and I figure she'll just leave. <laughs> I'm breaking my heart. I love her to death. Uh, you know, I appreciate everything that she offers to this world. She's a great person. Um, but she wants to get married and have kids, and that's not what I want. And, and uh, anyway, but one thing led to another, and uh, it's made us work through things that I guarantee you that I would have left somebody for a lot less for. Oh, man, 100%. Yeah. Um, but I got, again, me and Courtney got. Again, we, we were young, so that worked out really well. Um, having kids changed so much. Yeah. Uh, man, I actually got, like, because of me having kids, you're a jerk. You made me cry. So <laughs> when, because I remember when you had your whole heart incident, it was on a Saturday. Yeah. So I was in church. It was like 
whenever we, we were in church getting the messages from Whitney that you were in the hospital and da, 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 da. And had I not had kids, my empathy level would have been like, you know, like a one, one or two, but like, out like this, but like, Oh, what a, wow, what a bitch, you know, whatever. But no, it was like immediately my brain, me being dad, my, my dad brain immediately thought of Jonathan and Carter growing up without you, Whitney having to raise him without you. And dude, it freaking destroyed me that morning. Yeah. Like it was, I was, you know, dude, I was at the altar. I was literally at the altar crying, praying for you. So, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, I hope God stepped in there. sounds like he, obviously you're here. So I'm going to say he did. And this conversation. But, uh, but yeah, man, kids, they, uh, they, they change, they, they change and who you all are. I thought about dude was, was my kids. When I was That's all you can not think about. Yeah. It was like, and so the doctor came in and he was like, you know, Eric, he's like, you're going to have to make some lifestyle changes. You know, he's having that serious mm-hmm. conversation with me. He's like, oh, doc, I've already thought about this shit. I already know. <laughs> and uh, I was like, look, my wife's got terrible taste in bed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't some other jerk reason. I don't some other weirdo raising my kids. Yeah. Well, I was thinking he, he laughed because he got the joke, right? Yeah. I was talking about me. Exactly. Right? Yeah, you know. And, and that guy was, he was another Indian doctor. He was very serious and he was kind of young. So he's very serious. And, trying, and actually nobody. And uh, the nurse told me, she was like, holy shit. You, you got him to laugh. laugh. That's awesome. <laughs> so but yeah, that, that's uh, to kind of wrap a bow on some of this. Um, another reason why. So let's see. You said we've All right, we're back. So. Talking about the kids, man, and like how they, they change things and, and things like that. One thing I'm excited about this podcast and what I want to do with it is it may have nothing to do with anything, but, you know, I think it'd be interesting in, you know, 15 years, you know, Jonathan and Carter can listen to this. Yeah. Hear where their dad was, you know, at when he was 48 years old and, you know, kind of tie it back even further, you know, to like history you know, it's going to be interesting. You know, it'd be really cool to go back and listen to, what? you know, me being 35 right now. I would love to be able to hear what my dad and one of his good friends were sitting around drinking some beers, talking about when they were our age. Mm-hmm. I would love that. Dude, I would probably listen to that at least once a week. So I found a picture going through uh, when my grandparents passed away. I was I was lucky enough to get. All of the boring stuff. So I got like the yearbooks of my grandparents. I got pictures. That whole box right there that you see is full of my family stuff. A picture I found that my parents didn't even know existed. There's a picture <laughs> of my my dad and both of my grandfathers in El Paso. Beers on the table. The, the my my grandfather's my dad's side, his barbecue pits in the background going, and I'm like this three year old little punk, like in the picture, dude. I would give pretty much anything to go back in time, to be at that night and remember what in the world that was going on, right? Because you've got a marine, you got two marines. My grandfather and my dad are both marines. You got. Uh, Korean veteran. My dad had joined during Vietnam. He never got to go. And then you've got my other grandfather on my mom's side, the white guy, the white Baptist with, with the Catholic. <laughs> so the, the, the Apache Hispanic Catholic, who's only like five, two, 
So like my dad's dad was like five two, five three. All right. My grandfather on my mom's side, the white dude, the white Baptist guy, six four. Yeah. So again, and, and my grandfather on my mom's side, uh, he retired as like uh the highest you can be as an enlisted man. He was a master sergeant. Um again, if I could go back in time and be, and be that little three-year-old to actually remember that dude, that had to be a fun night. So I showed my parents that picture and my mom actually remembered that night. And like her reaction was, she goes, Oh, she goes, that was a really, really fun night. Yeah. Like that would have been cool. So, so yeah, man, uh, again, we're kind of wrapping up here. Um, But yeah, I think it'd be cool. So again, you know, if I go however far this thing goes and it never goes anywhere and I fully expect it to not go anywhere, but for me, it gives me value because I get to talk to people face to face. Um, I plan to talk to people who I'm going to disagree with on a lot of things. But I think it would be good um, because the audience that I only really care about are my kids. So I think it would be good for them because I don't know what the world's going to be like in you know 20 years. Right. But I think it would be good for him for my for my kids to go back and be able to listen to their you know psychopathic father, you know, <laughs> talk to people that clearly disagree with him, but they're able to do it. They're able to shake hands or hug or whatever it is you know afterwards. And be cool because the world they're growing up in, that's not allowed or it doesn't seem to be allowed, you know? 100% agree. I think that's, and I think that's why you originally started this, you know, like when we were doing the call back in COVID Mm -hmm. was um, because I think you wanted that. And, And to me, when you see America divided or very divisive like it was, I think that bothers you to this day. Yeah, um, it really does. And, you know, the weird thing is, and, and I'll take the blame for it because I'm the, I'm the, oh, goodness gracious. Uh, it can be a little you know, I, 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 I'm the factor, you know, I'm, I'm the denominating factor in all of this. But outside of you, all those other individuals have completely cut me off. Really? All of them. Um, one of them I cut off, uh, which is weird because he was uh, that individual had been the one that was actually on my political side of things. Yeah. But yeah, they've all cut me off. That's, so uh, yeah, it's interesting. That's the way it should be. And it's not, and I'm definitely not going to name drop. So I'm definitely not going to go that route, but, but that's one reason why I've been really hesitant to even do this. Yeah. Um, it just, cause yeah, that really stunk. Cause I thought, I thought that those, cause all those individuals brought something to the table. Um, they're all intelligent individuals who were caught up, you know, on the political blah, blah, blah of the world. And they all wanted to make changes. Right. And I was like, okay, cool. I can take these people's motivations of wanting to make changes. And they, at the time they were all willing to be honest brokers and willing to listen to other people and and be able to be willing to let their minds be changed. That's one thing I'm really trying to do. I'm willing to allow myself to know that I can be wrong sometimes. And I allow myself to allow people who make rational arguments that are principled to help me move where I, you know, from here to here. Now, there, now another aspect, I'm also very, very, I've actually become more entrenched in some of my beliefs, especially my faith. I've gone what, like really into that. Mm. When you, if you want to, you know, if someone wants to talk to me about like, my views of like the constitution and like that. I'm like, dude, like, no, like, dude, like my feet, like no one's going to convince me of this new neoliberal, 
you know, let's let's squash, you know, bad speech. We need to quell bad speech because it can like, no, 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 no. Like my I'm like this line is in the sand. No, I don't care if there's a Nazi who is trying to have a Nazi party. Dude, as long as he fills out the permits and does what they are, he has that psychopath has every right to go and protest, has every right to create a podcast, has every right to be on Facebook, because I think. When you got that bad speech, I think it's actually good to have that out there so that the good speech can overwhelm that. At the end of the day, you have to let the better argument win. You do. You have to allow people to make decisions. But when you tell people this is how they have to think, you have to be in this, and and it's left and right. Anyone who tries to say it's, well, it's this side. No, 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 no. I've been called the rhino. I've been called the this and the that by this side of the MAGA, group. The oh, MAGA, yeah, dude. The I love when I get called MAGA. I have so many people <laughs> like, you're a MAGA fake news watcher. I'm like, dude, like, what are you talking about? Like, like I hate Fox News. <laughs> like, I hate – like, what are you talking – it's just – it's this – people have gotten so used to slinging mud because of social media, I would claim. Like, there's everyone has a rock in their hand, right? And, right. I, and I'm a 100 – and 28% guilty of this. Taking my stupid comment and throwing it at whatever just to watch it splat. <laughs> yeah, I did the same thing. Yeah, yeah and I, I'm trying to do I that. I got better at it. Um, I got better at it. You've been much better at it. Yeah. A lot better than I was because for a while there, my uh, my feed would be hilarious. There would be a, a random Eric comment on uh, – you know, whatever, uh, a, a Hill documentary or an Occupy Democracy one or a Trump whatever. And yeah, there'd be this random. I agree with And it would, be, it would be you just slamming these folks. And the funny part is you'd be saying the same argument to both different camps. Yeah. It, it would be, yeah. it was funny. So I love it when people, you know, just rally up and take sides. And, <sighs> and I don't think that's the way to be. I think there's, there's, I'm okay with people taking sides. I'm not okay with people thinking that everyone else who doesn't believe exactly what they think, that they're evil. Because they're not evil. You're not going to sell me that my MAGA friend is fucking evil, and you're not going to sell me that my damn near communist friend yes. is an evil person. I have plenty of communist yeah. friends. I'm going to probably bring them on the podcast, and it's going to be fantastic. I tell you, you got to be my point of bill. I want to bring them on. I, I he will. is the most right-wing communist dude you will ever meet how in the world can he be a right-wing communist you gotta talk to him and you'll be like what the fuck see i'm a weirdo too like when you really sit down like break down my stuff it's like i'm like a i'm like a pro let's build the wall let's do amnesty let's make immigration ellis island style let's kick out everyone who's like ms13 illegal so it's like i it's like i'm like this ping pong uh, I'm the same way. I know you I mean, are. I and mean, that's why I'm so glad that you came on, man. I'm a I'm, radical centrist. <laughs> so, such a thing. so I'll, I'll kind of end with this as part of the centrist uh, thing. There's a really, really good uh, – there's several interviews on it. Um, Tim Urban, he's kind of like this philosophy – philosoph- uh, whatever, philosopher, you know, kind of a high-minded guy. But he wrote a new book on that. And he's been writing for about four years about like what a centrist is. Right. Um, because – Everyone and I, I was actually trying to say this on on a on a thread the other day, like really trying to explain this to somebody. Of course, that fell flat on his face. I'm a Trumper. I'm blah blah blah. I was trying to tell this individual that, like, unfortunately, most people look at our political system as a like a line, right? A straight line. 
And Tim Urban, and Tim Urban, he describes it's not a straight line. It should actually be looked at as a T. You've got your left and right, but then you should have your people who are willing to listen and have their minds change, and the people that who are not willing to have their minds change. And that's how you should look at our political uh, spectrum, because a lot of people are in those far corners, right? Like they're right wing, they're left wing, and they are not going to change their mind no matter what the evidence is. You could show them a picture of Joe Biden or Trump or whoever, you know, doing terrible things to children, and you would still have forty-two percent of the of the main people would say, "Be like, oh, but 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 this or what, 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 you know, all that kind of mess." So it's a very it's a really good. Uh, I actually ordered his book. Um, maybe I'll actually read it. Tim Urban. <laughs> Tim Urban. Um, so yeah, it's a, he does a, I think he did a, uh, I'm trying to think of the podcast he did. Uh, he was on breaking points with uh, Crystal and Sager. Okay. Okay. Uh, had a really good interview with them talking about that centrist because he talks about sin and he's got way more eloquent ways to describe this, Yeah, but he talks about the centrist and he again, he breaks it apart that a centrist is not this person who is like, again, left and right this. It's this person who is more again on the T on the upper part it doesn't matter which side they're on left or right. They're willing to move back and forth. Yeah. He goes, that's a real centrist is someone. Cause again, I'm extremely conservative, conservative, but if you show me really good evidence, have a really good argument, man, I'm willing to listen and I'm willing to have my mind changed. And you're willing to try whatever a policy may be or an attempt may be. Um, and, and I always joke that, you know, you, you and I both come from the same profession. We were sales mm-hmm. and we were successful at it. And people would always ask me, like, Eric, what are you doing? Blah, 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 to be successful at sales. I'd be like, I'm just taking the best motherfucker I can find. And then I'm copying them. I had a, I did that too. Um, my thing was so counterproductive. I was just extremely honest with people. And that's honestly how I've always had my success when it comes to sales. And it's, yeah. I've, so I, it's weird. I've been in sales for 18 years. I'm 36 years old. You do the math on that. <laughs> I was Long literally, life, I was yeah. literally an 18 year old kid who got his real estate license and started selling timeshare. That was my first real. Well, I mean, people say restaurants can be sales. I was a subway, you know, when I was 16. So you could maybe argue there, and you may even be able to argue those before that when I was talking people into, "Hey, give me 15 movies and I'll mow your yard." <laughs> so it's funny because my dad was a he was in sales for 30 years. He he was. He did it for 30 years and was fantastic at it. Being a broker. Dude, it's like in my genes. Like, I never want to be a salesman. Like, I was like, it was funny. I was in kindergarten. I was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I literally made a little diagram of like me being a salesman, filling in like nuts and bolts in a bin. Because I wanted to be a salesman just like my dad. So I was like five-year-old coach. My dad was in sales. Okay. It's funny how that works. Because honestly, I didn't want to get in sales. I I never thought that I would be... I don't know how to put this, but I never thought I would be like my dad. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so not much like, like my dad. He was an asshole, blah, blah, blah. I can't help it. Yeah. I genetically. Genetically. And I'm glad I am um, in a lot of ways. But yeah, the salesman thing, I never wanted to be in sales. That's this not, is, I never wanted to do it. And then I was 18. I got convinced by my, who became my manager. I was, uh, and this would be good to listen to if, if anyone who's young out there list, is listening. Yeah. No matter what you're doing in life, any time can be an interview. So I remember this very, very 100%. vividly. 
very, very vividly. So this is really good advice for somebody. So I was, I was 16 at this point. I was like 17 years old. Um, I think I had just, yeah, I had just graduated, I think. And I remember the night it was a night. It was a Friday night. I was the only one working at subway. The other two people had called in and there was literally a line of like 20 people in line to get sandwiches. I was literally the only one working. But I did what I was supposed to do because I was a good little soldier. I smiled. I used to be really good at memorizing everyone's like order so I could take like five sandwiches like in a row, blah, 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 blah. Everybody be impressed. So, uh, yeah. so again, again, I'm a 17-year-old kid managing this, smiling, you know, not being – and I was I took my job very, very serious because I just always have. That's how, that's how I've been about everything. I take it very, very serious. Um, and that, that's my dad for there for sure. But <clears throat> so anyway, a lady who's in line who I knew, she was – uh, a lady I knew, she she was a wife of one of my sister's dad, you know, dad's new wife or whatever. Well, anyway, she hands me a card and she goes, hey, she goes, I want to hire you. And I was like, okay, hire me for what? She goes, well, how old are you? And I was like, well, I'm 17. And she goes, well, as soon as you turn 18, I need you or your real estate license. I'm going to hire you to come sell timeshare. And of course, I'm a. I was like, "What is this crazy person talking about?" Because of timeshare. But yeah, exactly. I don't know what any of this stuff was. But yeah, so from that point, when I turned 18, I you know reached out to her like, "Hey, you know," and yeah, dude, they literally hired me. And when I was 18, like 19 years old, dude, I made like 80 grand one year. Yeah. As a kid, as a punk, as a punk child, and the only reason I got that job is because I was working hard at Subway and having a good attitude. So it's funny. I, I, uh, I started off working at, at FedEx when I was like 18 mm-hmm. and I was part-time, blah, blah, blah. And a friend of mine, he's waiting tables. He's like, bro, you gotta come back fucking wait tables. You don't make more <laughs> money. And um, so I was like, well, cool. I'll check it out. Because he was bringing home cash. I was always struggling to make rent. You know, it was my yeah. roommate. And, um, I went to work at um, Olive Garden back in the 90s, like 92, 93. Olive Garden was fun, you know. Yeah. It's a pretty cool place to work. Well, it would have been a cool place to work. You would probably got <laughs> made really good tips back then. Yeah. And um, – I mean, I'm guessing there were probably weekends. You probably walked away with like a couple hundred bucks. Two, three hundred? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like Friday night, I would probably walk away with over a hundred. I mean – Back when we're talking like 1993, 94, 100, 200 bucks. Was, yeah, minimum wage back then was what, like three bucks an hour? Yeah, like three, maybe 414 or something. Yeah, something like that. Like that. Um, and I remember I waited on those tables, fucking slam pack. Kitchen was backed up, slow. It was the only Olive Garden in Memphis in 93, 94. So you know how busy it fucking was. Oh, yeah. It was crazy busy. And uh, there was a, there was a, a pretty big wait and um i waited on this one table and i, I kept telling him i was like hey guys it's gonna be able to get you i'm gonna take care of your drinks and i'm gonna tip the, the kitchen to get your food out a little bit earlier and dude was like you're all right eric you know how to work this shit don't you <laughs> and uh come to find out the guy owned a club called 616 uh which is pretty happening night club in this back in you know <clears throat> back in the day and he was like you ever uh he owned that, and he owned a few strip clubs. Oh, my gosh. This is going to a really fun story. Yeah, well, not <laughs> as fun as you think. He was like, uh, he's like, if you ever want a bartending job, 
he was like, call me, here's my card. And I called him and he was like, I got a spot open at 616. And uh, sure enough, I bartended at, at 19 years old, you know, bartended at a club like that. No, was, you're probably bringing good cash at that point. Dude, I mean, it wouldn't anything to walk away with like two to $300. Yeah. You know, in a, in a night, right? And, you know, my mom's like, weren't you studying in school? <laughs> so this was your pre-education days? Yes, this was so. my pre-education days. And then I got in a little bit of trouble in Memphis and moved. My mom had moved to actually right outside of Pine Bluff. And uh, that's how I ended up in Arkansas. I was like, well, I'll just move down there until I get back on my feet. And I don't, you know, I can avoid this prosecution. Oh, God. <laughs> Great. So I've got a felon here. I love that my very first podcast, I've got a felon on here. No, no, I wasn't convicted. You weren't convicted. Are you still on the run? Is there a warrant out Is there? Is there a warrant out for me? No. Gosh, they're going to, they're going to, some, you know, now that the FBI listens to everything now, they're going to listen to this and you're going to be arrested tomorrow for some offense back in the, you know, the 90s now. Oh, so. God. Yeah. But, no, dude, uh, I'm not important enough to be on the FBI's <laughs> list. Yeah, I'm probably on like several lists, but, <laughs> well, dude, I think we've covered the gambit, man. We've, uh, we've talked history. Uh, we've talked COVID, which I was not expecting to go that route. Politics. Uh, talk politics a little bit. We talked family. So, family. Uh, well, man, I'm going to have you back on at some point. Man, it was, it was great. Uh, thanks for definitely being my guinea pig on this. And uh, yeah, no yeah we'll do it again soon. I'm glad you chose me to be your guinea pig on it. Uh, well, yeah, you're the only psychic. Yeah, you're the only person who was willing to do it first. <laughs> so, well, cool, man. Seriously, man, I do really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll do this again soon. Definitely, definitely.